we pick up now where we left off? Mr. Stark, please. Yes, dear. Could I have your attention? Absolutely. Our priority here is to have you turn over the Iron Man weapon to the American people. Well, you can forget it. We're safe. America is secure. You want my property? You can't have it. But I did you a big favor. I have successfully privatized world peace. We're adjourned for the day. You've been a delight. Okay, give me a smooch for good luck. I might not make it back. Go get him, boss. You complete me. Hey, everybody. All right. Aren't you guys revved up now? Are we? Are we? (laughs) Hey, everybody. So listen, this is Jeff, as usual, with Cybernetic Shark on the MCU's Bleeding Edge once again, Wednesday evening, with Arch in the corner on the panel holding it down. And we've got two new guests, hosts themselves, Kevin and Kyle from the True Believers MCU and Marvel podcast. So... Guys, welcome to the MCU's Bleeding Edge. Kyle, Kevin, it's great to see you. Um, it, good to be here. 
Uh, I don't know. Kevin, you look like you might be a little frozen up over there. <laughs> Good to be here. Good to be here. Hey, you know what? Everybody gets frozen once in a while on here. It happens. I was I, I was guessing on the once podcast. Once in a while? I was guessing on the podcast of champions. I think it's uh, every day. Yeah, practically uh, with the, the other day on Saturday. And uh, I guess I was freezing the whole time they were telling me after the show, you know. So I, I'm, I, feel, I can't wait to see the video now of what kind of poses I was probably in. Um, but anyways, it, this is the MCU's Bleeding Edge. And as always, um, I want to go ahead and start off by giving my guests an opportunity to just let everybody know about where they're coming from in terms of their content creation, their podcast. Um, Arch, you, of course, come from the podcast of Champions. Sakar.freeforums.net. Do you want to go ahead and kind of just shout them out or, you know, explain the whole forum? Yeah, absolutely. You just gave the website, uh, Sakar.freeforums.net. It's a fan forum, just a pretty wide open place where you can discuss anything in, in, in the realm of nerddom. We were talking about the MCU and DCU and Star Wars and Star Trek and all kinds of other things, Any gaming, any, anything you guys are into. It's just a, a solid group of people, you know, free thought, whatever you think about, you come in and chat what you like uh, about what you like, and uh, we welcome everybody. We do uh, we do a little show um, sometimes on the on Saturdays where we review various topics or or shows that have come out, and and anybody who's a member of the board is welcome to join us on those as well. Most definitely, and um, I myself personally really enjoy guesting on the podcast of Champions on Saturdays. It's become like a regular thing for me. We did a really really solid. Um, Marvel Phase 4 kind of like review slash recap uh, last Saturday that went down really great. Um, I love how you guys ended up doing it. Um, Arch, didn't uh, didn't Lord Deathman end up, or did you make it into segments? Uh, yeah, so uh, Deathman is uh, is the one who hosts, so if, if you guys pick up on that, you'll, you'll hear his voice hosting. Um, the uh, uh, I, I do most of the production on that particular, those particular episodes, and we've got uh, parts one and two already out uh, on our YouTube channel, um, but which you can actually find on on Sakar. So uh, check that out, and you can you can get to those episodes. Uh, we've got uh, parts three, four, and five coming out pretty soon. Yes, most definitely. Subscribe to the Podcast of Champions YouTube channel. Follow their podcast and join Sakar.freeforms.net. I enjoy being on there. Cyber's on there. Um, I don't have much time to go on there really and like, you know, post and chat and whatnot, but I try to get in here, you know, once in a while and pop on. And th there's some interesting, you know, conversations going on on there. A lot of Dune talk lately, uh, which I enjoy, you know. Um, so Kevin, Kyle, Kyle, Kevin, um, in whatever order, it's really great to have you guys on here. We're really blessed to have you. Um, I've been on your show before one time, and that's how I met you. And um, would one or both of you please just, you know, kind of delve into um, the True Believers, MCU, and Marvel podcast and your network? Well, um, we are the Fan Podcast Network. Our uh, webpage is fpnet.podbean.com. Uh, we're a podcast network. We cover a lot of different fandoms. Um, we have our show True Believers, which is our main MCU show covering everything that's happening in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we have a few other shows as well. We have a Star Wars show, What a Piece of Junk, covering everything Star Wars. Um, we have a great Highlander show, Blood of Kings, that um, is covering all things Highlander, um, including the they have a huge con coming up uh, Highlander Worldwide Um that's going to be a virtual con that we just put an episode out previewing that we've got, we've got a whole lot of other things. We've got uh, 
podcast covering hair metal. We've got some podcasts just covering general fandom. We have a fun one we like to call Couch Potato Theater, where we talk about those movies that you may have the, the Blu-ray or the 4K or the VHS or the Laserdisc, but if it pops on cable, you're still going to stop and watch it because you love the movie that much. But, you know, we just try to have a lot of fun with fandom. Um, you know, one of our models is always respect each other and enjoy your fandom, and that's what we're all about. And it's funny too because like our <laughs> our true believers podcast kind of came literally at the last minute. You know, uh, WandaVision had just released on that Friday at that time before they moved uh, the Marvel shows new releases to Wednesdays. And I think it was on Saturday. I I, I contacted Kyle saying, "Hey, you know, um, we both love Marvel a lot." maybe we should do a new show with all of this new Marvel stuff that's coming out. And then that's how it was born. And literally like 48 hours later, we had a new podcast. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of how it works around here. <laughs> well, I had an excellent time uh, working with you guys on your show. It was really great. We actually did a Loki uh, review a while back. Um, seems like forever now to, to be honest with you. It's crazy to think that, uh, we're going to be jumping into what if here soon. Um, you guys are going to be covering what if here coming up like uh, here next week. Yeah, next week. Captain next Carter week it starts. Yeah, what's up with that, Cyber? I just talked to you yesterday and we were talking about Miss Marvel and Hawkeye, and you didn't tell me that Hawkeye already was released and everything and it's coming out in October or whatever. Um, I told you that it was it had a release date, November 24th, and you just forgot probably. Okay. It's very possible <laughs> that I did. Because um, we know if you don't write it down, you don't remember, sir. That's that's very true. Cy- Cyber knows me like a mother, so. Um, that's right, son. That's right. We've got that. We've got the MCU's bleeding edge connection. So listen, everybody. Um, I will, of course, by the time this is all said and done, when this, this show actually comes out and becomes a video version and a podcast version, I'll get information from Kyle and Kevin so I can go ahead and give you guys where to go to follow the podcast. You know, how you guys are on YouTube too, right? Yeah, we have a YouTube channel. We have, we're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We're on all the major podcast catchers. If you just search for Fandom Podcast Network, you'll find us. How does that work? Uh, so iTunes is still a viable platform, right? But but there is Apple Podcasts at the same time. Well, yeah, it it gets a little confusing because it's Apple Podcasts on Apple devices, but for like people still using Windows and stuff, it's still iTunes. Oh, that's how it works. Okay, yeah. all right. Um. So, anyways, well, guess what, everybody? This is actually literally a milestone moment because this is the fifth installment of our infinity saga review series connected with the podcast of champions. And we are doing Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man two, the live stream review version. And we're going to make this a part one and kind of like leave it in the air about potentially doing a part two, just because it seems like these reviews are taking so long. So, but we'll play it by ear, you know, like worst case scenario, we might end up reviewing Thor next week. We'll see. As we'll just see what what ends up you know coming out out of this show tonight. Um, I can think of a worse thing to to review than Thor, you know. Um, but you, luckily, you guys aren't here for Captain Marvel. Um, <laughs> although, I believe if I remember correctly, you guys are pretty positive on were pretty positive on Captain Marvel, weren't you? Yeah, yeah I mean, Kevin has a, the lunchbox right behind him, so I know oh. he liked. <laughs> I really. Oh, yeah, 
That's right. You showed me that last time. I forgot about the lunchbox. I I'm a Captain part. Marvel defender. <laughs> That's all, you know what? I, I ran into a Captain Marvel defender on TikTok the other day. He was very impassioned. I did not <laughs> like it. I threw up some videos on TikTok uh, from the critical drinker uh, giving like a negative review of Captain Marvel on YouTube. And this person got all personal and emotional and everything and was like talking to me on TikTok about Carol Danvers and Brie Larson and this and that and everything. And I'm like, hey, calm down. Like, it's I, they're just videos that I threw up. Like, it's not because it's not my opinion. Well, um, well, when the Marvels comes out, I think everybody will have a much different opinion. I, I just want to mention, too, Kyle and I were just discussing this. Uh, we're actually going to be doing our own v- very own rewatch of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But we're going to be doing it in the chronological uh, uh, order, and uh, we're going to drop them in between uh, breaks of the live shows and the or, or the new shows coming out in the movies. And so we're going to obviously we're going to start with uh, Captain America, and then when we get to Captain Marvel, I'll make sure that we don't call you. No, <laughs> <laughs> well, you should bring me on for Captain Marvel. Uh, that Excuse sounds me. vaguely familiar, Jeff, doesn't it? Exactly what we're doing. That was aggressive. Steelers. <laughs> I, I'm really glad you guys let us know about that because I want you to make sure that you get me in cyber to at least for one or two of those reviews. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. Hey, we do this all this. We do this all day. So, I mean, if you know, we know the MCU, like the back of our hands over here, we don't play, <laughs> um, you know, and Arch is, Arch is pretty good too. He's not, he's not, he's not bad. He's a good guy to have around. I try. He doesn't sound as good as Lord Deathman. But Lord Deathman has true. the whole he has the whole audio only deal going on, like which kind of like makes him stand out. That it elevates his voice a little bit more. I, I like him. He's enigmatic and he's got like the butter voice thing going on. So he's 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 he's, he's good. He's he's solid. He's so good. He's so good that you the first time you meet him, you want him to host your show, basically, guys. He's, he's fantastic. You know, if you run into Lord Deathman, Kevin or Kyle, I guarantee you, you will want him to run to, to host one of your shows at some point. He sounds that good. So. Iron Man 2. I, I, it's a very interesting film. I, Although Cyber doesn't believe it, I did watch it. I actually watched it more than once because the first time I watched it, there were a couple of scenes that I kind of, I don't know, tuned out, you know, for a minute or was doing something else or whatever. I needed to kind of go back. Um, I feel like um, to start off with, I actually, I feel like we talked about this before, Cyber, the fact that our expectation is when we, you know, when we do shows that people who, who tend to like watch us and like us, they follow the MCU. They know the characters. They may not be comic book fans, you know, like a lot of us are, um, but they understand the, the premise of, of the MCU and who the characters are and what's what with the films. Um, Kevin, Kyle, you guys basically have, both of you have some Marvel comic background, right? Oh, uh, I I grew up on Marvel. Uh, the first thing I remember reading as a kid is a Spider-Man comic, and especially in the um, '80s and early '90s, I was a big X-Men fan. But I, you know, uh, all of it: Avengers, Spider-Man, uh, Hulk, all of it. I was I was a big into Marvel comics, and really, Marvel comics was kind of. I mean, I, I like some DC stuff, but Marvel comics is where it was at for me. I uh, Kyle is the uh, uh, resident comic book. Uh, 
a guru for when it comes to our podcast. I uh, jumped in more with the uh, the movies. Uh, when it was comics for me as a kid, I was more I was anti superhero when I was younger. I was into uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original black and white comics. I was into GI Joe. Uh, those are the things that I was into when it comes to comics. Well. Um, you know, that's interesting. I mean, you know, I remember that dynamic now from the last time that I that I was on you guys' show. Um, honestly, Kevin, for somebody who's as now MCU knowledgeable, you come off like you have that a little bit of that comic book vibe going on. You know what I mean? I guess you're, you're well, I've, I've learned a lot from Kyle. And, you know, when when this new stuff comes out. I do like to do some research before we podcast. And that means going into the comics and watching other people's videos, watching your guys's videos, anything, what, you know, listening to my peers, basically that, you know, really know what they're doing. And, and get, I give them credit, of course, you know, and cause I, I feel like no matter how old you are, you can always learn and uh, being podcasting with my good buddy, Kyle here, I've learned quite a bit about comic history. So I'll always be forever grateful for that. Isaac is good to see you, brother. Um, Isaac, one of the nice things about being pretty new and small, I guess, when it comes to being a MCU content creation team, is that um, we actually like name basis, like with a lot of the people who come on the show and like go in the live stream in the comment section. When they pop up, we know who they are for the most part. So um, it's a familiarity that I enjoy. And um, who knows, you know, like uh, we may we may break through and become bigger than we are right now, but so far. We're hanging in there around that 50, almost almost 50 subscriber range on YouTube. We're getting close to it. Um, and Isaac, we appreciate you, brother. Um, it's good to talk to you, man. And um, we all seem to be doing pretty well on here. I mean, shit, we're going to do an Iron Man, you know, two review. So I can't think of a, of a, you know, more important or interesting thing to talk about really than Iron Man 2. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, but of course... As far as Iron Man 2 goes, I want to start off with basically just asking everybody here, um, what were your feelings? And I'll start with you, Kyle. What were your feelings watching Iron Man 2 whenever you watched it, whenever, whether it was a couple of weeks ago or, you know, today or yesterday or whatever, compared to when you saw it back in 2010? Uh, how do you, like, how do you, how do you, what do you, what are your thoughts and your views on the film now as you see it again? It's an enjoyable film. I don't know. It's definitely not one of the best of the MCU films. It does have some f- flaws in it, but I think overall it, it's, it's just enjoyable. Robert Downey Jr. is magic as always. Um, obviously this being the movie that brings us to Black Widow with Natasha Romanoff and uh, the, the man who steals this, this movie for me, Sam Rockwell as um, Justin Hammer is, is so much fun. And of course, obviously too, we have the change in roadies as we go from Terrence Howard to Don Cheadle when getting the war machine armor and things like that. I, I think, I think with, for me looking at it now compared to back then it's, you know, with it, with every Marvel release, you had that huge excitement and, when I look at this one now, there's a lot of things I enjoy, but this isn't one that for me is a constant revisit like some of the other other MCU films. But it's still a lot of fun, and you know, like I said, Sam Rockwell to me steals this movie as Justin Hammer. He is absolutely amazing in this film. Well, Kyle basically just explained in one uh, quick, um, you know, the uh, contribution there basically the whole, wrapped up the whole like premise as far as the key points of the film right in that shot like uh that's the thing about iron man 2. 
it's not Infinity War. There's not like 17 different things going on. It's very simple. It's not a not a complicated film. Um, although, you know, it, we'll, we'll debate that, I guess, probably over time throughout the review. But um, Arch, to, to you, um, same same question. You know, are you able to go back and kind of remember how you felt about seeing Iron Man back, you know, in, in 2010? It's tough for me to remember, like, the very first time I watched it, but I can tell you probably my most rewatched film, at least through Age of Ultron. Like, I, I would watch Iron Man 2 quite a lot. I don't know. I just found it really enjoyable from, like, start to finish. There's, like, at least for me, there's, like, so many great scenes from the, the Rockwell scenes of putting the guns together and, and Ro- you know, Rhodey kind of first taking on War Machine and Widow's debut. And there's just, like, the whole thing. It's, like, I feel like it's one of those films, like, every scene I just want to keep watching it. So I used to rewatch this one quite a lot um i'm sure we'll get into this more detail in a minute but uh anything else i can contribute for now or, or is that what you're what going was to? your go-to for a long time there like before ultron this was your go-to like throw it up to like go to sleep or whatever marvel movie it, it's it's one of those i watched a lot i mean I, I i i am a complete mcu apologist i love all of these films and i, I don't i don't make a, a secret about that but yeah that was one that i i would watch quite a lot i'll tell you that i'm not saying like necessarily it was like the one I would say was the best or anything like that. Like there's, there's a lot of great films through phase two, you know, I, we, I don't need to name them all, but like I would watch Iron Man two quite a lot. Age of Ultron was actually that film for me for a while, a couple of years back. Uh, Age of Ultron became like my go-to MCU film that I would throw up whenever I had to like kill time or something like, you know, like when you would typically put a podcast on, I put like Age of Ultron on. I actually think it's a very, uh, um, maybe underrated film to tell you the truth. I think it's actually a pretty good movie. Um, Absolutely, it's really good. Oh yeah, and it'll be a lot of fun to review. I mean, you know, like that one might be a three-parter to be honest with you because there's a lot to unpack that that film. But um, Cyber, my friend, um, I know for a fact because of your memory is impeccable compared to mine that you probably can remember what you thought of Iron Man Two back in 2010. What are your thoughts these days watching it now? <laughs> Well, I mean, seeing it back in 2010, I mean, you know, it was state-of-the-art for its time. You know, just like the first Iron Man. It was a very intense and great film. I mean, it was, you know, pretty much the, you know, like, third film coming out from the MCU at the time. And basically, you were just enthralled. You were enthralled. You're, like, you're getting more Marvel, finally. You're getting more of Robert Downey Jr. You know, so when I went and saw it in theaters... I just remember being in awe the whole time just watching it and coming out of it and just wanting to watch it over and over again because I just thought it was such a great film for that time at 2010. I mean, of course, like, you know, we've said, as the movies have progressed, they have gotten better and better and better over the years. So, I mean, it's not, you know, like Arch was saying, it's not his, you know, the greatest one at, you know, the best film of all time, but at the same time, it's it's still a very good film for how early in the phase it was for the MCU. And I just think it's a very easy and watchable film, too, as well. I, I watch it all the time as well. Kevin, what are your thoughts? Uh, th- did you see the film back in 2010? Oh, yeah. I have seen every single Marvel film theatrically in the theater. Wow. Yeah. And uh, this was one of those... This one was, I remember the hype for this one because the original Iron Man uh, was such a huge hit, such a huge surprise, gave us so much hope 
you know, and this is before we really realized too, that there was this big plan, this big Kevin Feige plan, you know, we weren't thinking phases at this time, you know, we just wanted more Iron Man and uh, we got it. And uh, it's interesting as this, as time went on, this was always one of those films that, uh, including the third one that people would just kind of knock down, find any reason to knock down, whether it was, uh, you know, the villain in this, uh, um, you know, whiplash and stuff like that. Uh, but when I just watched it uh, yesterday to get ready to, to jump on with you guys here, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. And I always have. Uh, one of the best things about this movie is Justin Hammer, uh, Sam Rockwell. And, and I was kind of hoping that he would eventually come back. And I think that there's a chance he might because we need more Sam Rockwell. He was just great in this. But this also, too, you know, this is where we get, you know, um, you know, the new the new roadie, you know, and uh, they, they were kind of made tongue in cheek about this, like, you know, in the courtroom and the or the the hearing in the beginning He's like, it's me. Get used to it. You know, it's like <laughs> basically get used to the new casting. <laughs> Great know? line. Perfect line. But, but the thing that I really enjoy about the Iron Man films and one of the things that I really enjoyed about the third one, which a lot of people crap on for other reasons, is I love the um, the relationship between um, Tony and Pepper Potts as it's starting to develop. I love those two as a couple. I love when I love their banter between each other. It's just it's watching this relationship, kind of being a fly on the wall of this relationship, is like you know it's going to happen, but it's going to be a rocky road getting there, and that's half the fun in watching that. And those two have wonderful, wonderful chemistry. And also, too, I got to give a shout out to the first appearance of Black Widow. Still, my favorite look with the long, curly red hair. Oh my god, hot! <laughs> I mean, she's. I got to be honest with you. I, I had, I could not help but notice how youthful she looks in that film. I mean, she does look a lot younger than she does in the Black Widow film. Excuse but, me, sir. Do you mind exiting the donut? <laughs> <laughs> Every time right, I right. drive past Randy's Donuts on the freeway, I always get a kick out of that scene. <laughs> yeah. all, all I want to know is, can I have one of those? <laughs> I mean, look, I think she looks. I mean, uh, you know, I don't want. I don't want any like crazy feminists or like whatever come out and like uh, come start coming after me or whatever because I talked about ScarJo aging or whatever during the Black Widow film. Like she's getting older. It is what it is. She's still beautiful as hell. Like, what are you kidding me? I mean, she's she's uh, extremely attractive. But I could not help but notice. That in in uh, Iron Man two she looks young like I mean you can really tell it's that it was like eleven years ago or whatever you know when this film came out you know or twelve or thirteen when it was made. Um, what were you gonna say, Arch? No, no, I was gonna tell a small Randy do Randy's donut story. So I'm I'm from Florida and I'm just gonna break the reality a little bit for some people here. I I was out in L.A. one time and I was like, oh, I I can drive past Randy's donut. So I actually went to the to the actual donut store with a filming location. I got a picture of it. And I was crushed to realize there was not an inside seating area. So the, <laughs> the, the entire seating seat is done somewhere else somehow. But like, I was like, really? I drove, I walked around that building like 18 times. Yeah, there. that's a, that's a stand up to the counter, grab your donuts and go place. <laughs> well, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I haven't, I actually have, I've, I haven't been to the, like to the donut shop or anything like that in a while. It's actually been a minute now that I think about it, but, um, that we'll talk about about that scene later on when we get into the secondary characters of the the film and um what our thoughts are on like you know Nick Fury's presence and everything and whatnot 
But um, does anybody have anything to conclude kind of when it comes to like this, this premise of what it was like before Kevin Feige's master plan type deal was set in place. And we, we started to look at things in phases and everything and, and things were a little bit more narrowed. And like, you know, Iron Man was like the fundamental character. Not that he's not that he's didn't remain that, but like at that point, he was the he was the show. Go well, ahead. Iron Man Iron Man 2 really kind of let us know, like, oh no, Colson's going to New New Mexico. Why? And then we get that stinger at the end going, Oh, whoa, we, we're gonna get more like superheroes now. That was like the wake up call was at, at the end of that film. You know, when you hear when you hear him say, I've been reassigned, I'm going to New Mexico, you're like, okay, what's going on there? And then we see Mulnir, or you know, if you're Darcy, Mew Mew. <laughs> I just remember at this time I was still very much in the all right, they gotta get Thor right next. Let's just let's just take it easy. Nobody get too excited. All right. Now they gotta get Captain America right. All right, everybody's like, make sure they get that, and then you knew Avengers was Avengers was coming at this point. You didn't realize what they were going to reveal in that film, but I was still like, "All right, let's, let's make sure they get this right. Let's make sure they do that one right." And and they did ultimately, but that's how I was feeling. And I think that's a good point. I think everybody was still like, "It looks like it's happening. It feels like it's happening, but we're not quite there yet. We're not quite." I I I truly think most people didn't feel that way until we actually got to the end of Captain America, or even got. That after that, when Avengers actually pops up on the screen, screen after the opening scene of Avengers. But from a fan <laughs> standpoint, didn't I don't know this for a fact, but didn't people already realize? Weren't there already rumors that the Avengers was going to happen? When Iron yeah, Man Ava- yeah, Avengers was already well well known that it was coming, but it was still people were like, yeah, well, let's do because we hadn't gotten past the two films that most people saw as the biggest hurdles to get to Avengers, and that's yeah. pulling off Thor and Captain America. And I think, in each of their own ways, they handled what could have been real awkward situations for those films brilliantly. And well, of course, I mean, you, there, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of responsibility um, put in place when it comes to you know everybody involved in producing these films from the Marvel Studios end to the the the, the actors and actresses themselves. Um, I think it's definitely something that we're definitely going to end up getting into more, and that is the the fact that it was the reveal of the Black Widow. Um, you know. Uh, that's really weird. Sorry about that, guys. I guess I shouldn't probably keep my cell phone in my pocket during the podcast, uh, excuse me, live stream. Um, I was actually just sitting here and all of a sudden this like weird like song creeped out of my pocket or whatever. And I'm like, what the hell is that? Uh, it's interesting how the technology is sometimes. Uh, but anyways, um, so back to what I was saying, as far as the Black Widow being revealed in this film, for me, I can remember looking back and remembering feeling like that was really a part for me that made it more realistic and tangible that they were putting together like an actual cinematic universe. Um, you know, even though, I mean, honestly, it's, it's hard to remember looking back that directly. I was a really busy person at that point between work and kids and everything and whatnot. Back then I had custody of my daughter and everything and whatnot. I was like a, a lifetime ago. Um, but I really enjoyed uh, watching the film and seeing the Black Widow in the film. And what I wanted to ask you guys next was actually what stands out to you 
and I guess probably like the first half of the film, because I look at Iron Man 2 as basically like two halves almost. You know, I guess you could make it into three parts if you wanted to, but it's like two halves. Um, what stands out to you guys, uh, Cyber, you first, um, in the first half of the film, that arc of the film, what, for you, what pops off? What pops off? Hmm. I mean, you get your kind of your introduction to Whiplash at the beginning of the film. Uh, you get your kind of your first look of his first, you know, building of his, you know, machine, basically his whips and stuff like that. So we get to see his kind of like his first take on that. Uh, we get to see kind of Tony's slow decline because he's dealing with the palladium basically disintegrating inside his body and causing him to have issues. And so he's trying to figure out, a, you know, a solution for that. And then, you know, you kind of have like this kind of slow burn of just all those things mashing together and Tony having to figure things out while, you know, others are really worried about him. I think that's pretty much what I feel is like the first half of the film, uh, kind of what kind of goes on and kind of what they're dealing with, you know, until we get to the second portion of the film. Do you feel like it's appropriate to break the film down into two parts? Is that like how you, do you see it like that yourself? Well, if you're going to do two part film, yeah, yeah, I would break it down in half. Okay. That makes sense, brother. I appreciate that. Um, so, uh, Kevin, um, for you, like, I mean, it, it, we, we can always, I can always ask you something else, but is there anything in the first half of the film that really like stands out to you that you found that, that was, uh, that was pivotal to you or that you like, you recollect or like you remember? Yeah. Yeah. He, he's dealing with, so he, he came to a, uh, a point at the end of Iron Man. Is he going to be quiet about this or is he going to be Tony and come out about this? And he came out, said he was Iron Man. So he is dealing with his n even more new celebrity instead of being this playboy, you know, uh, son of a, you know, a weapon manufacturer. And he's being called out to a Senate hearing. And but he's able to back up his actions. And that whole thing kind of leads to the whole thing with Rhodey and this competitive thing that's going on with Justin Hammer. And then the comp the government wanting obviously uh, his weapon or another version of it, which they do get in a back way with with Rhodey, and so all of that to me I found very fascinating, of course. And then as I mentioned earlier, this uh, the relationship and turning his company over to Pepper and letting while he's also dealing as as you guys just mentioned the uh, the thing about um, you know the 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 poisoning that he's going through as as a uh, soon to be uh, vi visions would say, you know, um, saying that uh, what's keeping you alive is also killing you, you know? Yes. And that's a great point. I actually really like in, I really paid attention and enjoyed the Paul Bettany as Jarvis. Uh, Jarvis. Yeah. Know, facet of the film um, because like, it, you know, that was something that actually stood out to me because, you know, I, I, I think of him as vision all the time so like it was it was interesting and kind of weird to like see him as jarvis you know again but um kyle um what about you anything really for you um that really stood out in the first half of the film yeah it's interesting i i do think the point of finding tony in the donut is really a great breaking point of this film in the two halves because you, you end with him kind of having that crazy birthday party and things 
not going well with Rhodey and then Fury finding him and we kind of kind of head in the next different direction. But when I when I look at the first first half of this film, there's a few key points that stand out. First and foremost, the suitcase armor. Getting that portable suitcase armor, which was actually the main poster for the Iron Man film. Just using the classic trope of the Iron Man of Tony storing the Iron Man suit in a suitcase. That that whole thing was excellent. And also just the flamboyance of Tony with the introduction and the opening at Stark Expo, which I want to bring to a point because that was the first time I truly remember something that started one of the first films that started this. There was a scene in the trailer that actually didn't make the movie because in the trailer we see Tony ask for a kiss and Pepper kicks, kisses the Iron Man helmet and then throws it out the plane and Tony takes off and catches it and then lands at Stark Expo. Well, they cut that out of the film when it actually hit in the, in the theater. And I never understood why, because it was a great scene between those two. So that started a trend of that happening a lot for a while where there were scenes in the trailer that weren't actually in the film. And I, I think, I think the other thing with this was, you know, everything with Justin Hammer. I mean, just you, you see where he, he, he's, he's so, Wants to be Tony Stark. He, he thinks, it, and in his own ego, he, he he's just he's an equal match to Tony Stark. But you see how Tony just treats him as so completely secondary, just a wash off. And then, you know, just how that kind of plays out. And of course, you know, too the the early introduction of Gary Shandling and what he means to the future of the MCU as well. <laughs> I, I just want to go ahead, Kevin. I just want to mention real quick. Uh, Kyle brought up the suitcase armor. One of my favorite Iron Man uh, suits, and when you when you if you're in Las Vegas, go to uh, I think it's Treasure Island. They have this Avengers Station kind of walkthrough museum uh, event that you can go to, and they have all of the main Iron Man suits, including the, the Mark One that he built built you know in that desert prison. But they have the the suitcase version that's up there. I've always loved that one. I just thought it was the coolest thing. Arch, and then we're going to jump in and go do those the, the Iron Man trailers. Now that uh, Kyle mentioned, going ahead and mentioned of uh, it, reminded me. Arch, what for you? What what in the first half of the film kind of stands out? Yeah, I've I've kind of been itching here because like I I have a slightly different view of this film. Like I I've always looked at this one as this interesting sort of like dovetail plot. Um, right after the suitcase scene, we get like what I thought was a really cool scene of of Tony visiting Ivan in prison. And they have this little talk. for So for Tony at that point, he thinks the movie's over. He, he, he feels he's vanquished this guy who just showed up and everything's good. And from then on, it really becomes uh, two stories. Like there's the Tony's having problems with his health and he's having a relationship with, uh, you know, Pepper and her becoming CEO and all this good stuff. And then uh, and, and dealing with S.H.I.E.L.D. S.H.I.E.L.D. We got, this is our first kind of proper introduction to S.H.I.E.L.D. Who, who comes along on that side, too, which I thought was great. But then on the other side, you've got this really cool interplay with two villains who are trying to, like, one-up each other. Justin Hammer thinks he's in control half the time, which is really, really, you know, it's just amusing for the most part, which is which is great. But really, Ivan is just completely playing him, like, through this entire thing. And you see that eventually come to a head at the end. But I thought it was great. Uh, Ivan, too, I just, I just want to say, because I... I you know, there's a big thing, and I just want to acknowledge that, uh, you know, a, a fair amount of people, I don't know how many, I don't want to over-exaggerate it, but, you know, look at, at him as not a particularly great villain, but I find him really fascinating, actually. The film opens up with with him having to, to deal with the death of his dad, which I thought was, like, a, a pretty powerful scene, and, and, and you, you see through the opening credits that, that he had a hand in, uh, you know, some kind of project dealing with Starks and working with Howard and that kind of thing, and 
And you you feel he has this legacy that Tony is living out, but Ivan's not allowed to. Uh, and, and he has this bitterness and this resentment at not being able to be what what Tony is. And he's had to grow up with these like street toughs instead. So he's like the dark Tony Stark, which I think is is sort of like a really fascinating sort of character for him. Um, but uh, I don't know. You get you get a number of different things here. Um, you, um, you mentioned the opening scene just a minute ago, which I thought was it was great. Jumping down, there's the cheerleaders. It's it's ridiculously over the top. But you do get that moment after that. You see Howard really properly for the first time speaking. It's on a video, and it's from the past. But he's introducing everybody to the Stark Expo, and that kind of sets up the the later scene. And I don't want to get too much to the end here of Tony sort of having this you know, reconciliation with his father. It's not quite the one we'd eventually see in Endgame, but he has this moment where he sort of comes to peace with his relationship with his father. And, and but that was set up at the beginning. So all of that really, like, I, I felt all of that. I, I really did. I find all of that really fascinating throughout this film. Does anybody want to jump in after hearing what Arch had to say by any chance? Yeah, I, I think I think Arch brings up a... a Good point, and we haven't really talked about Vanko too too much yet, because I, th- I think that's its own, own separate discussion. Because I think he is kind of what kind of what Arch said. He's one of the more he's one of the villains that really def- splits people in the Marvel universe. Because you know, if everybody's going to have a, a knock on the MCU as a whole, I think it's been the how they have how they've handled villains, and I think Vanko is a very interesting thing, especially with Mickey Rourke in the role. And I, I know we'll talk talk about that a little bit later but i think arch brought up a really good point about him and just how he's used in within this movie well i think that's interesting that you mentioned that mickey rourke himself and that character because um from what i understand there was some controversy um with him after the film came out he wasn't too happy with marvel um you know, I'm not an expert on that whole, you know, affair or whatever, but I just want to point out that there was some bad blood between him and Marvel Studios. Um, and uh, basically, I feel like I love Mickey Rourke. Um, and Kyle mentioned to me in a conversation earlier today that at that time in 2009, 2010, Mickey Rourke was on a high. Um, he had just been nominated for an Oscar and uh, he was definitely in demand. Um, so I, I feel like it was good casting. Um, and for me as a fan, I, I like, uh, I really like Whiplash, even though he's not the comic book Whiplash. I, I like what Mickey Rourke did with the character. I feel like they could have maybe given, I feel like I, it's, it's hard to like, uh, to, um, you know, uh, try to second guess this stuff now, but I feel like if they had developed his story more as a villain and as a character, he might have been more impactful in the film, potentially. Um, but, guys, I'm going to jump over here to David R. in the comment section. I'm always amazed by Hammer having any contrast after watching all of his equipment fail repeatedly. Yeah, I found that to be very amusing. Uh, the fact that, like, Hammer's, like, Cuban, his Cuban or whatever, like, just tanks at the end. Like, it doesn't even work. It just fizzles out. Like, that was pretty pathetic. Um, and... We've also got the the F1 fight is a great villain intro. It is. Uh, still not sure why nobody shot him, given the obvious exposed targets, but the driving, the suitcase suit, the extreme slashes, great build. Yes. Great, uh, great comment, David. I really did enjoy that intro. And before I go to the trailers, does anybody want to pitch in on 
whatever you may think of Banco as a villain overall in the film, I feel like the way they introduced him during the F1 um, race was actually great. It looked good. He looked good with the whips and everything and whatnot. I liked his suit. Like, you know, he, he looked pretty fearsome. Yeah. Um, did I answer David? To David about why nobody shot him. I think they kind of established that he had there's some kind of field around him when he had the whips activated that was protecting him somewhat from being shot and things like that. It's it's a great introduction to a, a villain, and I think it this is one of those things that where this is where Iron Man two kind of suffers a little bit, and because it got kind of fell into what at the time was the big comic book trap. I call I call it the uh, either the Batman Returns trap or the Spider Man three trap. They're trying to have too many characters in one film, and obviously they perfected it now when we look at like Endgame and Infinity War and things. But at that time, especially when you're still trying to develop the world and everything with it, I just think they were trying to juggle too many pieces, and so. Where I think where Sam Rockwell, his personality just is so overpowering with just the charisma he kind of has, even even if it's that slimy, jerky used car salesman charisma. Where with with Mickey Rourke and how he plays Vanko up, it just doesn't seem to grab and pull you in as as appealing and as interesting. It's an interesting story, but the character himself doesn't necessarily pull pull you in. And then you add in the fact that they're still working it with Tony, things with Pepper, things with. Uh, Black Widow, and it just there was it was overabundance at that time for that movie, and I think that's where a lot of people kind of feel like things get a little lost in that film because there's so much going on. I think we, I think we, I I think we got enough with uh, Ivan Vanko's backstory with the father, and you know we got his side, and then we've got um, Shield side. You know when when uh, they uh, brought it up to Tony and what, what, you know, what his, what Tony's father ended up having to do. Um, and, and I thought it was a great introduction for him to start wreaking havoc. Cause that formula one race in Monaco is a big deal. You know, it, it's like if they were to do something here in the States and then like, uh, you know, do it at like a, a world series game or the super bowl. Cause that, you know, racers and rich people come from all around the world and and that's a that race is a big deal and so i thought it was a great way to introduce him and i just love seeing those cars get sliced up you know and uh and then of course the introduction of the suitcase suit i just love that yeah i just wanted to go back and and not to like vehemently disagree but like i you know i i just really feel like they did like a lot with his character that would make not like a ton of time but like i thought they did a solid job of like you know, building up why he's there and why he's so angry. And I, 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 Kyle, I, I honestly, Arch, I don't mean to cut you off. I just want to put in, I agree with Kyle that like Rourke, Mickey Rourke didn't sell it. He didn't sell the character to me. Oh, man, I don't know. I felt like he was really vicious. And I, I realize I might be in the minority here, but I, I, I felt like he was super vicious. Like, you know, when he's cutting up cars, complete disregard for like, these like innocent drivers, like just rolling over and getting in a horrific car wrecks. Like he's, he, he's like hanging security guards at the end. Who knows what he did to them? Exactly. <laughs> like he, he's, he's, you know, he's cracking the necks of guys and he, he blows up the dude in the prison cell. Like he, he's vicious throughout this entire movie. I really felt all that. And I felt Rourke, at least for me, like Rourke really, really sold all that. So I, I don't know. Hey, That's all I can say. I enjoyed him in the film. Like I, I can, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of wishy-washy with the whole with him with him in the movie because I did enjoy him. I like Mickey Rourke. I just like his, I like him in general. I like his his voice. I like I like his whole presence. I like how he looks. Um, you know, uh, you know. So I mean, 
Uh, but at the same time, I feel like um, the way that things end is kind of like um, uneventful to me, like with him, like as a villain, like it's, 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 um, it's not all that impactful. Um, you know, when we get to the, like the final, you know, showdown and everything and whatnot, like, but we can of course get into that in a minute. Let me go ahead and drop these trailers and we'll kind of just detour really quick and then we'll get back into things. What is two for one studios all about Daniel? Well, I'll tell you. Two for one. Join Matt Mitchell every week as he shows off the toys and action figures that, that you can't, can't afford. Gundam, Power Rangers, Transformers. Oh my. Matt spends too much money. And you reap the benefits. Two for one backlash. Join Donovan each week as he spotlights a different old school movie that made him. The Phantom. The Shadow. The Giver. I have not seen those. That's okay. Donovan's here to give you the lowdown on the old-ish movies you've probably never heard of. Podcast 241. Whether we're breaking down the latest MCU or Star Wars news, or dissecting your favorite Hollywood blockbuster, join us each week to get down with some nerdy conversation. And that's not all. We've got new and exciting content headed straight for your visual cortexes. So stay tuned to Pick up now where we left off. Mr. Stark, please. Yes, dear. Can I have your attention? Absolutely. Our priority here is to have you turn over the Iron Man weapon to the American people. Well, you can forget it. We're safe. America is secure. You want my property? You can't have it. But I did you a big favor. I have successfully privatized world peace. We're done for the day. You've been a delight. Okay, give me a smooch for good luck. I might not make it back. Go get him, boss. You complete me. Guilty man, you try to rewrite your own history. And you forget all the lives the Stark family has destroyed. They will be blood in the water, and the sharks will come.
center. I'm sorry, he's very eccentric. I want one. No. If you can make God bleed, people will cease to believe in him. They will be blood in the water. And the sharks will come. turned over to the United States of America. I am Iron Man. The suit and I are one. Contrary to popular belief, I know exactly what I'm doing. What? What I saw you do to Tony Stark on that track? Wow. You need my resources. I want to make Iron Man look like an antique. This whole lone gunslinger act's unnecessary. You don't have to do this alone. Plays textbook narcissism. Agreed. Yeah, the the uh, the suitcase uh, suit was awesome. No question about it. It looked really. <laughs> I wish they would have left in that uh, that scene with uh, Pepper on the plane kissing the mask and throwing it out. And he's like, "You complete me." <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was a good scene. Um, I'm glad that Kyle that Kyle uh, set that up and whatnot before we actually got the trailers because I'd forgotten about that um, completely. Uh, and honestly, from from watching the trailers. If if I was like if I had never watched Iron Man two, I would think that Mickey Rourke as a villain was awesome. He was <laughs> on the trailers. Uh, you know what I think it maybe is Arch. I think maybe I just like my expectations are so high with Marvel Studios at this point that my lens when it comes to looking at these older MCU films is a little bit askew to where I also kind of have high expectations of Mickey Rourke. Right. Like he just didn't for me, right? Deliver to the level where hey, look, like he's not a you know he's not a Thanos. Um, but either way, I was right. exaggerating. What's everybody think about the trailers? Cyber, what do you think? How, how long has it been since you saw those trailers? Since 2010. <laughs> I unlike some people, <clears throat> Jeff, that rewatch certain trailers a billion times. Uh, I only watched those back in 2010 when they first came out. Uh, I saw both of those trailers. I remember both. And I remember seeing the kiss on the helmet scene as well and thinking, why wasn't that in the film when I actually saw it in the theaters? And uh, when they finally released it on, of course, Blu-ray, DVD, and so forth, you know, they, they had it in the lead scenes. And I'm like, oh, there it is. You know, they should, you know, 
let's do a uh, a Favreau cut and let's add it back into the film, you know? So, I mean, from those trailers, I mean, it got you going, especially that first one with the music from ACDC. I mean, that right there alone got me pumped for the this film when I first saw those first two trailers. And it just, like, it... I don't know. It just it was very exciting because, like we were saying, this is so be- so early beginning of the MCU before Feige was even part of it. Paramount had distribution rights to this and all that kind of stuff. So I mean, it was the early stages. So a lot of these films, these first films, were so weird looking, kind of because they're so not formulaic to what the MCU has become. We look at these and we kind of go, "Oh, you know, this is so different." But at the same time, they've served their purpose at the time, yeah. and were really well-done films all together. And Feige was around then. He just wasn't as pivotal, I guess. So he wasn't. He, had, he hadn't reached the, his status yet yeah. uh, at, at Marvel Studios, but he was there because he was there back during the Sam Raimi Spider-Man days. Yeah. Kevin Feige was there. Um, so anybody else on the trailers? Yeah. Uh, I was reminded of something when you were talking about uh, – um, the, the soundtrack there. First of all, I totally forgot about that, those trailers. I haven't watched those in forever. And when Kyle, when you brought up the, the ki- pepper kissing the mask scene, I totally don't remember watching that until way back in those days when we first saw them. But the soundtrack it's funny. I'm a big ACDC fan, big heavy metal fan as well. And ACDC has never officially released a best of album or greatest hits. That's not their thing. They don't do that. The closest thing you will get to an ACDC greatest hits is the Iron Man 2 soundtrack. And I bought it for that reason. Cause there's some great ACDC songs on there. Yeah. You, I mean, you can't, you can't, t- you can't not take into consideration ACDC when you think of Iron Man, even in the Avengers, right? I mean, don't we get ACDC like twice in the Avengers or something? Yeah. Like that? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, no. Well, let's talk about the biggest thing in this trailer that at the time when this trailer hit had everybody buzzing. War Machine. Yeah. Everybody was losing their mind saying, oh crap, we got War Machine. You know, we we were teased with it in Iron Man 1, and now we see the full armor of War Machine, and it looked spectacular. It looked just like it was pulled right from the comic books, and people were losing their minds over seeing war, the War Machine armor in these trailers. This um, one's called the ex-wife. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and I, I agree with you, Jeff, what you talked about with uh, how they presented Venko in the trailers, and I think that's where the difference for me lies is while Venko was vi- incredibly vicious, I don't think he ever felt like he was a true threat to Tony Stark. Me, You know, it was like as soon as Stark put out the armor on, he was just going to outclass Venko. That's how it how it kind of felt like to me. And that's kind of, I, I, I think they just, there was something they they made him vicious. They made him frightening to the average person, but he never felt like he was, this is not a heavy hitter who can stand toe to toe with Tony Stark. And even though with the history and everything, there was just, there was something about it. And I guess maybe because you were also dealing, and I think part of it might've been dealing with the whole palladium poisoning issue, which was seemed like much more of a threat to Tony Stark than Venko ever did. I feel like the Winter Soldier felt to me like more of a viable threat. You know what I mean? I mean, to anybody basically as a villain, like to be, let's be honest here. Like, I'm sorry, but Bucky as Winter Soldier is like on a different level as a villain than Benko. Like he, I mean, 
it, you, we're going to get into this when we do the review, of course. But uh, for me, I think that one of the most undervalued villains or underrated villains in the MCU history is the Winter Soldier from Captain America, the Winter Soldier. I think he's a, he's a major component of what makes that, for a lot of people, their number one, two or three ranked MCU film in the MCU. Um, you know, and I'm one of those people. It's hard for me to remember whether it's one, two, or three because I, I they reshuffle in my head. Um, but Arch, did, did you watch the Iron Man trailer since you already saw them before anyway? Oh yeah, I definitely watched these. Uh, this little little fact, I, I don't watch newer trailers, but yeah, yeah, I watch these. It's weird to me looking back on these in retrospect because you kind of feel like they're giving away the whole movie, sort of, but only because you've already seen it all, so you know exactly where all this happens. But yeah, no, I, I think they're exciting. I don't remember them when they first came out. There's a few trailers I watch, and I've watched consistently. The Infinity War trailer, I'll still watch that every now and then, just because it's oh, incredible. Man. Uh, I ah, that up, man. Cyber yeah. knows how much, I, how much I love that trailer. There's several mm-hmm. that are really good. The first Black Panther trailer was really good. Uh, I'll, I'll yeah. still watch the Age of Ultron teaser trailer, the one where they're singing the Pinocchio rhyme and like really slowly, creepily, that kind of thing. Like, there's been a few throughout that I'll watch a lot, but these these weren't one of them. Not that they're bad trailers, but I just haven't seen them in a long time. I contend to this day that I think Infinity War trailer two is the best, maybe the best trailer I've ever seen. Out of any trailer I've ever seen, I think it might be the best. Um, it's very possible. I didn't watch that one until after the film, of course, per my per my usual. But the first with, one was amazing. I thought the first one was amazing. With, with Thanos, and he's like, I hope they remember you. And you see Tony like with his armor half off and everything, destroyed and everything. And then you see Cap take on Thanos, like, you know, and like hold up Thanos' arm or whatever. Man, you want to talk about like getting you pumped and like excited to see a film. I was freaking stoked. I remember seeing that trailer and being like blown away. And I still am. I think uh, you and the trailer should get a room. I love it. I, just, <laughs> I, I can't get it. It doesn't matter how many years go by. I love the energy of seeing people's reactions to that trailer. Um, it just had an effect on people. Mm. Um, but anyways, so guys, moving on as far as the, the Iron Man 2 review past the trailers, um, when it comes to like the, the, secondary, the secondary characters, the cast, um, what, what did everybody, what, what was everybody's take on that angle of the film? What stood out? What's a, what's a, a major premise for you? Who did you like? Uh, who did you not like? We already talked about Vanko. Uh, Arch. Uh, yeah, I was trying to think, uh, some things that jumped off the top of my head there. I liked everybody, but, um, I thought they did a really good job getting Rhodey to War Machine. Like it felt organic, right? Like he didn't just jump in the thing for no reason. I liked it. Like it was, a, you know, it was a straight, he only got in there cause Tony was drunk and they, they needed to do something. And he knows Tony's having like this midlife crisis. They don't know what's going on with him at that point that they don't know his life's threatened, but I like how they got him into the armor uh, versus, I, I don't know, some sort of generic, Hey, I need, really need you in this kind of thing. I like how it was sort of like an accidental thing. I like how he takes it immediately and, and gets it souped up. Uh, that, that, that whole scene was great. Uh, Pepper did. Pepper was really awesome here. She sort of levels up as a character a bit, uh, you know, just taking control, especially towards the end where she's kind of so fed up with Tony. She's like, just get out of here and let me, let me run the company. Like she was reluctant to do so, especially in the first movie, you wouldn't have thought she was doing that, but she's always been in sort of that role anyway. And by the end of the movie, she's really comfortable doing it. Uh, it was, I thought it was a great debut for, for widow. Um, and, and I mentioned earlier, but just getting us familiar with shield, uh, this was really the most you'd seen them at the time, which is another reason I really loved this film for a long period of time. We saw a ton of S.H.I.E.L.D. in here, and I thought, 
you know, from Fury to Coulson uh, to all these guys, uh, they were, they were all great. So um, seeing Widow do that was, was, was pretty solid. All, all of those. That's an important point, Arch. It really is because like that infrastructure of establishing shield like that is a component that became very pivotal yeah. for the Avengers. It really did. It segued. Um, yeah. This, this is still probably the movie that you, that they have the most shield in other than agents of shield, depending on how canon you want to hold that. But um this is still probably the the most shield you've seen in any of their movies, which I thought was a fantastic part of it. Okay, um, what do you think, Kevin? Um, secondary characters, the cast, the casting. There, there was there's a lot of returning characters that uh, lended to the continuity of the Iron Man story overall. Yes, you can talk uh, Rhodey and and. and 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 then we got happy, of course. Of course, you know John Favreau's directing the film, but it's good that he's there. But I also like the fact that you got um, Leslie Bibb, who played Christine Everhart, back in, into this one. And there's that great line where they're in Monaco, and she's there like interviewing uh, Hammer and then <laughs> Pepper, Pepper, who's just like has the great line going, "Oh yeah, you know she uh, she did a spread for Tony," and then Tony's like, "Oh yeah," and there's an interview, and there's. <laughs> You know, and so I like that kind of continuity with these characters that uh, lets you know that this, you know, this is all one big thing. And I got a huge crush on Kate Mara as the U.S. Marshal that served the subpoena. I just got to say, you know, that was Kate Mara myself when I watched Iron Man 2 and I didn't I didn't remember that. And I was like, I I, I loved her in uh, in uh, Shooter with Mark Wahlberg. She was just really good in that. And uh, I just love the fact that this that the interaction there was like how Tony doesn't like being handed things and stuff like that. I just that, reviewed so. a movie she was in called, um, uh, geez, uh, stowaway or, uh, something on Netflix. It was like a sci-fi star, like, uh, like, uh, like space kind of movie. Um, and, uh, it was very interesting, very, very, uh, very, like, uh, very serious, very dramatic, but like chilling a little bit. Um, but anyways, uh, so moving on, um, Cyber, how about you? What do you think in terms of the, the secondary characters? Is there anything that stands out to you or that you really personally kind of enjoyed? Well, I mean, what, like they were saying, uh, what everyone else has said, you know, we have a lot of secondary characters that we met in the first film that returned in this one. We have the introduction of some new characters. The first, you know, of course, uh, look at, you know, Black Widow, a.k.a. Natasha Romanoff, played by Scarlett Johansson, and no, just like uh, they were saying before, uh, you know, yeah, this I feel this was definitely her best hairdo in the film, too, as well. Oh, yeah. That long, curly red hair was amazing. Uh, and then, you know, of course, you know, Ivanko, uh, we were talking about him earlier. He was really good. Mickey Rourke, uh, he did a good job, I thought, as well. I mean, yes, he wasn't the most, you know, craziest villain I've seen in the MCU, but definitely I thought he did the part for what he needed to do for at this point in the MCU. Uh, and then, you know, of course, we got, yeah, our, you know, just like Arch was saying about we got a lot of S.H.I.E.L.D. interaction in this film. We got Coulson, we got Fury, you know, that came into this film, which, don't forget, we had a lot of S.H.I.E.L.D. in Winter Soldier as well. We got to see a lot of S.H.I.E.L.D. in that film as well, along with Civil War. Um, but at the same time, yes, at the time, yeah, that was the most we had seen of S.H.I.E.L.D. at all. And that was just really fantastic because we got Nick Fury in it. And, you know, who doesn't want to watch Samuel L. Jackson in the film? 
I, you know, I myself, I'll watch him in anything. It could be the worst movie in the world. I'll still watch him because I think he's fantastic. Snakes on a plane. Anyway, so you know, it, it, it's one of those you know movies that just has a really great cast. Anyways, I mean, yeah, the Leslie Bibb thing was fun. I think it's hilarious that they had her interviewing Justin Hammer because Leslie Bibb and Sam are actually dating in real life. They've actually been a couple for many years now. I don't know how many of you knew that, but they actually are together in real life and have a kid. Um, and uh, I think that was funny. Good for him, man. Good, good for him, Zyber. And uh, I, I think it's funny that they had them together, like in kind of in the film. They're kind of together like, you know, Leslie Bibb and Tony were in the first film. and But at the same time, they were actually dating at the time, which I think was really funny. Uh, and then, you know, of course, I just thought that just the whole cast and all together, like I love that they brought, you know, John Furber decided to bring himself back in to be Happy Hogan again, and we got some good interaction with him, especially when he's sparring with Black Widow. That was hilarious. It was so funny, and she gets, he like gets knocked out right away, and that was like super hilarious. And then when he's trying to take out all the that one guard, and she takes out all the other guards, and that was just a really great scene too with him. So you know, everyone was just really fun in this film. I thought it was a really well-rounded cast. And I believe all of it just really stood out to me because it was such a great film for its time. And, of course, they upgraded the roadie role by bringing Don Cheadle in, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Big upgrade, know. yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Kyle? I mean, it's an upgrade to me. Oh, it's, it's an absolutely huge upgrade, Terrence Howard, making the biggest mistake maybe in the history of Hollywood. But, <laughs> you know, we, we, we talk about it, and I think – it's one of the main reasons the MCU has become what it is. And that is because Marvel bats at least 900 when it comes to their casting. Some, I know there's some casting that's people might question about, but to me, they've nailed Marvel casting nails it better than any other group of movies out there. As far as finding the right people for the right roles, Iron Man two is no different with getting Scarlet to play black widow. You know, I'm not even a huge Gwyneth Paltrow fan, but I love her in the Iron Man movies. I think she's incredibly hot in the Iron Man movies when I thought she was very average for whatever reason, I might be the red hair. I'm a little bit of a weakness for that red hair, red hair kryptonite kind of thing. By the way, as much as I love black widow in this, I I do think her best look was winter soldier. That's just my personal preference. Um, but I mean, yeah, I think it's Favreau's best performance as Happy Hogan. I love this. I love it when he's driving to get the suitcase to Tony. That's that's great. And he uh, the, his interactions with Natasha in this film were great. Obviously, we have I've raved about Sam Rockwell throughout this the show. Um, yeah, even Mickey Rourke. Like I said, they were riding high on Mickey Rourke at the time, and uh, to get him was a, a huge deal for Marvel. But they cast the small roles so well. Even like I said. Wesley Bibb, having Kate Mara be the server. Let's not forget Olivia Munn, who was at that time the queen of geekdom. Let's just say it. She she even has a role in this 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 film as well. And of course, we also do technically, if you go by what Kevin Feige says, it is the first appearance of Peter Parker. So oh, we've got that too. I forgot about that. I did. I forgot about that whole angle. Uh, and it is Sarah Finn. That's been doing the casting for the MCU now for what, uh, thirteen years or fourteen years or whatever. Um, and uh, give that woman a big job. raise. <laughs> yeah, she does an excellent job. I think she's been uh, spot on the majority of the time when she's made her her choices. Um, from David R in the comment section, Whiplash straight up says he was attacking to wound God, not to kill him. His goal was only to demonstrate that he wasn't infallible. 
So a success metric is much lower than most villains. Yeah, I get that, David. I do. I, I, I'll, that's tangible. Like, I get what you're saying with that. I think that that's very possible. He was really kind of toying with Tony, like uh, playing like mind games with him and everything like that and whatnot. They were trying to play that off. That like Arch was talking about that whole dynamic where there was like a a like connection between them where you know um, he was kind of Whiplash was kind of like the the like you know screwed up version of Tony or whatever you know what I mean or or however you want to pronounce it. But um, also from David R, this was a Black Widow build film. They went from Honey Pot to room clearing badass in the course of the film. The comparison to Happy fighting one guy was great. Yeah, that was really great when when Happy fights the one guy and Black Widow fights like what, 13 or 14 different dudes or whatever. That was a good scene. Really good scene. Um, does anybody want to um, point out anything or, or bring anything to the table in terms of Black Widow in this film? Like that scene where she fights all the guys in the hallway and everything and whatnot. This is where we get the introduction to her famous like you know, leg scissor kick thing takedown. I forget what uh, the, uh, I think it's her stunt double calls it, uh, but her traditional takedown with the legs and, and using that momentum and, and physics to take down a much larger adversary with that. And that, that was a great introduction and her using all the little tools that she has as well, you know, the gadgets. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and the, the mace, the mace in the face. Little comic-esque. Yeah. Well, given that nobody's mentioned nobody's mentioned the Stanley cameo in this. No, that's Stanley right. Stanley cameo where, where he thinks he's supposed to be Larry King. Oh yeah, Larry King, that's Larry right. King, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Larry well, King. But I mean, come on, let's let's with your time Black Widow, the obviously the introduction of the Black Widow pose. I think I'm gonna go puke now, but <laughs> <laughs> what's with that's when you flip the hair back? <laughs> yeah. And the fight But no, I yeah, no, go ahead, Jeff. No, no, that's all I was gonna say is that that was this was our first shot of the fighting stance, the like landing fighting stance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think, I think, I think, knowing what we had, knowing we were already gonna get more Black Widow in Avengers when this when this came out, but I mean, I think it was a great introduction for Natasha for the Natasha Romanov character. I know a lot of people kind of talk about the Honey Pot, but I think they even started developing her beyond that in this film. So, but I, I think, I think that you had to, you had to play up a little bit of that honeypot angle just because of her trying to be undercover working with Tony Stark. Well, there was that kind of interesting scene where he, Tony's vulnerable and everything, like he's dying and everything. And she's like, she says to him, like, if it was me, it was my birthday. I would do with whatever, who with, with whoever I wanted to, with whatever I wanted, you know, to do or whatever. And she's like staring right at him and everything and whatnot. And it was pretty, pretty provocative, I thought, to be honest with you. I don't know what you guys thought, but I mean, they were definitely, they were going in that direction, Arch. It definitely was. But like that, that's part of what her character is. Like this film is, is the probably the most spy you see her be like, uh, she's also that way at the the very, like her opening scene of Avengers is her being a spy. But a lot after that is, is mostly her being a badass. So I think it's really cool to see her just, infiltrating and playing a role and playing a character and doing what she needs to accomplish her goal. But I actually think her, like probably her coming out scene was, was a little more subtle where it's, it's, it's actually pepper starts off and she's questioning hammer. And then black widow just comes in and she's like, all right, enough of this. It like throws hammer down over the table. And was like, all right, we're, we're dealing with this. And then she, that's where she heads off to, 
to uh, whatever Hammer headquarters, whatever his lab is, and and takes care of business. But that scene where she just comes in and throws him down was 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 really cool, and she just she just takes over from there. Yeah, and I do. I I, I mean, we there's been rumors for a while back that they were they were potentially going to bring Justin Hammer back into the MCU. Um, how that would play out, I don't know. I mean, uh, this- he's really not. You, I, I like he. It would make no sense to put him on the Thunderbolts or anything like that because he's not like an actual. You know, he's like more of a backer than he is like an actual villain. Villain. They still might. Armor Wars is a good place for him if 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 they're yeah, gonna throw him in there. Exactly. I don't know. If they will, but yeah, they might. That's- Am I the only one who, who kind of wishes that instead of Armor Wars, they would just give us like all of the like footage of like Rhodey as War Machine fighting terrorism and like like doing stuff for the government. Over the he needs to be. He needs to be the power broker. That that's who Hammer needs to be, or the person that that uh, Sharon Carter was talking to at the end of Falcon Winter Soldier. You know what, Kevin? They should have made uh, Hammer the power broker because, like, that would have been a lot more um, eventful than the whole Sharon Carter being the the power broker deal. I still yeah. think there's something, not to get off on a tangent too much, but I, I still think there's something going on with Sharon. Like, I've got two ideas on this. Either she's gonna wind up playing a pretty big role in like uh, Armor Wars. Or perhaps she's going to wind up being a scroll in Secret Evasion or something. I, I don't know. Potentially, Arch, do you think she's a double agent? Yeah, yeah that's a, that's a possibility too. I, I think there's more going on there, so I'm, I'm I'm giving that a big wait and see on that to see to see that. I I feel like they've got her set up for something. I just don't know what that is exactly. Just to throw in, until Secret Evasion happens, we can't trust anything that happens in the MCU. <laughs> you know that's coming. So there's there's a scroll running around somewhere probably. I don't think she's a scroll, but I do think there's a strong possibility that she could be a double agent and that she still works for the government. And the whole Madripoor power broker thing was something she's just doing as like a, uh, like, you know, a, a, a case or like something like that. Or she's just, you know, like, uh, again, double agenting. But that's why I'm thinking Armor Wars might be a good place for her is, is she could come out as, as being under trying to undercover whatever's behind that. But yeah, you're right. I think a double agent. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think there's probably a couple different like places in, in the MCU where I could see them using Sharon Carter and I would probably like it. Uh, I like Sharon Carter as a, as a character. I was really one of the more stoked people before Falcon and the Winter Soldier came out about her presence in the series. I, like it was a big highlight to me. Agent Thirteen and everything, yeah. and uh, she like she steals the show in yeah. like episode three or whatever it is, a Falcon of the Winter Soldier. Right, and she fights all those guys to like give them time with the the Hydra scientist. That was a that was a great um, you know episode for her. Yeah, yeah, I think she's gonna have another wrinkle somewhere. I just it could be anywhere. I'm not sure where it is, but I think she's got something else to say. So, okay, guys, changing up subjects getting into different territory why don't we get into the rotten tomato reviews i picked out a couple that i think you guys will probably like um david r mentioned armor wars i'm glad we're talking about armor wars we got a ways to go before we get to that series um but i'm definitely i'm I'm, i mean some people are a little down on it i'm pretty excited about it personally um as far as the rotten tomato reviews goes guys I'm just going to go ahead and shout out a couple ones that I checked out today and just get your comments and kind of see what you think of the reviews and just, you know, let us know how close you think these people are at with like with what their take on the film. Um, basically the, as far as the actual 
film's rating goes, it is a 72% on the tomato meter, 71% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. And um, from September 11th, 2017, I've got Candace Frederick from Real Talk Online, top critic, going to you, Kyle. I don't think the story was nearly as strong as that of The Dark Knight, but it sure was entertaining and surprisingly funny and sets up the Avengers quite nicely. Gave a rating of a B plus. Uh, you forget what other movies came out around this time, time and the fact that we're even comparing Iron Man 2 to The Dark Knight. That's, that, that's, that's, that's a bit of a stretch. I mean, don't get me wrong. Iron Man 2 is a good movie, but it's not The Dark It's The Dark Knight. Um, I, I would I would give Iron Man two a solid B to B plus ra- rating. Um, I I, th- I think I think overall at the end of the day, like I said, it's not one of the best MCU U films, but it when you look back at it, it, it it does what it needs to do. It brings it brings us Black Widow. It brings us and it, it introduces a lot of concepts later that involve out later down on the line. And that's another thing that Marvel has done so well. It's not so much that these things feel like they're forced interconnections, but they weave the, the threads from one film to another in places you don't even think about it going. And then it makes perfect sense once it happens. And I, I think that's, especially when you look at these phase one films and especially I think Iron Man two, there's a lot of threads from Iron Man two that feed out not only into future Iron Man films and Avengers films, but into other things in the Marvel Universe that you wouldn't even associate with Iron Man 2. Well, Kyle, that's one thing I wanted to point out to you about like Iron Man 2 is that it is kind of busy, but at the same time, they had a lot that they had to set up and connect, you know? Oh, yeah. So, you know, so it was a double-edged sword. Um, But uh, anybody else on this Candace Frederick review? Cyber, what do you think? I mean, you know, I the the comment about being uh, related or like comparing it to the Dark Knight, just like uh, what he was saying, I, I totally, yeah, I don't get why they were comparing it to that because it's That's apples cool. to oranges, don't you think? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Because <laughs> yeah. the Dark Knight, it hands down is the best Batman film I think to date. It is my, one of my favorite all time one with the best Joker of my in my opinion, um, top ranking Heath Ledger. And I mean to compare that to that such a that movie to Iron Man two, it just doesn't it does not bode well. It, like you were saying, apples and oranges. Um, I mean, yeah, definitely, I would give Iron Man two like a B plus, A minus. Uh, I thought it was that good. I enjoyed it, but I definitely would not compare it to Dark Knight because Dark Knight to me is you know thousand percent better of a film and just you know a better story and just. You know, it, it had more creativity to it versus what they did with Iron Man 2. Because, like we were saying, Iron Man 2 is the beginning of the MCU. This DC movie, you know, The Dark Knight, it had a lot of creation behind it and just really great setup. So, I mean, that film, I would say, would be a thousand times better than Iron Man 2. But still, yeah, I would I would say I agree that the B-plus is a pretty good uh, grade for the film. Uh, I would give it more of an A-minus, though. Going to you, Arch, rumors had been circulating around Iron Man 2 for some time. Rumors of reshoots and studio cuts. Is this what they wanted, you wonder, or is this what they were trying to avoid? This is from Stuart McGurk, uh, who gave the movie a 6 out of 10 rating back in May 2021. What do you think about that, Arch? 
I, I mean, I don't know what I, I wouldn't know what he means by trying to avoid because I find this film thoroughly enjoyable from start to finish. So I, I it's not. It's, here's the thing: the MCU, it, it, like throughout its entire history, makes good to great films. Like when you're talking about, it's not the best. You're still talking about a pretty darn good film. So. I mean, it's not like you're watching this, and I'm not going to name any specific films, but it's not one of those you'll watch and you're like, well, none of this shit makes sense. Like, you know, you know like you're not trying to piece together, well, why did they introduce that? All of it makes sense. All of it's good. They, they establish all of their characters well. A lot of, I love a lot of the interactions. Um, I mean, this is just a really solid, enjoyable film. So, I mean, I, I don't really know what else you'd be asking for. I, I, I think the MCU is great for, like, at least giving you that every single time. You can go in and you can enjoy it. It's fine. It's great. And then they have their top tier. Wow, that was amazing films, and it's awesome. I think that's that's why I'm in it. Kevin, what do you think of the rating? The six out of ten. Do you think that that's legitimate? No, I give it a little bit higher personally. Uh, I, I I agree with the previous uh, um, rating, like the B plus. I think it is. I, I think it's a solid sequel, and it expands a lot of the uh, the universe and really dives into the character building of uh of tony and and what what he has coming forward uh, so now i don't I, I disagree with that ranking i give it if he's gonna go from one to seven i'd give it like maybe a seven and a half eight maybe at the highest okay i think that's pretty fair um cyber going back to you mm-hmm. from david hogan out of the uk who gave the movie a four out of five uh, on the positive uh, note doesn't quite stand up to the original, but comes close. The lead villain in the final showdown leaves this film feeling a little empty, still more than worth a watch though. I mean, I would agree to that some, to some extent. I don't think Iron Man two is worse than Iron Man one. Uh, I think they're about par to each other. Uh, I definitely agree that Obadiah Stan was a better villain in the first film uh, than, you know, Mickey Rourke was as Whiplash, simply for the fact that we didn't get very much of a comic book accurate Whiplash. Uh, And they kind of, like, you know, gave him that, like, the kind of, like, the revenge aspect, I thought, was kind of a a downer for the character because I feel like he should have been more focused on being a villain, like – He's there to like cause havoc and you know the whole god line and stuff like that, wanting to maim and I just thought that was wasn't to me didn't sound like a villain from the comics. It was too so, meta. Yeah, so in and so yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think Obadiah Stan was a better villain, but as a whole, both of the films, I think they're both par and how good they were. Okay, Arch, what do you think? about what David Hogan says about the film. He does give it a four out of five. Um, I mean, yeah, that's fine. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how much more to really clarify it. I mean, all I can really say is like, I, I think they pretty much do everything they really want to here. So that's, that's all I really ask. Nothing really stands out to me is, you know, they could have done better. I, I like, you know, I already talked about how I find the backstory of, of Whiplash um, is, as presented here. I get it's not exactly the comics. I'm, I'm okay with that. So if, if somebody isn't, that's fine. So you, but, uh, you, you find it to be a very consistent film overall. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah no, I, I do. And I think they hit their pacing really, like, really well. Um, you know, I think it goes from action to, to character drama really well. And all the character drama moments are, 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 are 
not necessarily always funny, but they're interesting, right? Like you've got like classic Tony Stark, a lot of classic Tony Stark moments being witty and uh, overly sexist in, in certain ways. And then also funny and uh, condescending to people. And like, oh, I think all of that really works. You get a lot of great, like pepper empowerment moments. And I just think all of it really works. I enjoy every scene, like I said before. So I'm thoroughly satisfied. And that's all Without I Without RBJ, I don't think the movie would work at all like you know what i mean like he I yeah. mean, he, he holds the the whole show together without question go ahead kevin i just want to say that uh i have issues with the original iron man um i know it's not shared by a lot of people but i find the first half of the original iron man so much more watchable than the second half obadiah stain is good but i don't like the lead into it and i feel that the latter half of the second half of Iron Man to me drags out a little too much. Um, the only, the tension, the only tension that I, to, to me, it's just a generic good guy, bad guy fight to me. Uh, I enjoy the scenes more with Pepper and um, uh, Agent Coulson more than anything else. I, I, I actually prefer Iron Man two rewatching it more than Iron Man one all the way through because yes, there's like a first and a second half. And I enjoy both those halves, um, almost equally. Um, so, I mean, I, I agree with that, uh, that higher, was it uh, four out of five? I think that's really good. And, uh, you know, but I, I disagree, you know, I kind of go back and forth with it, I guess. I like them both about the same, but there's, I just find this second one a little more rewatchable. And if I'm going to grade it on that, I would give Iron Man two a little bit higher rating personally. Okay. Well, before we get into Batman, the Batman, let me just go ahead really quick and go around and get your either give me your one through 10 rating or just let me know where you think this movie fits in the MCU hierarchy. As yeah, as Arch. Saga. Um, Kyle, I'll start with you. As far as the standalone movie itself, I would say this is a seven and a half to an eight. As far as where this falls within the dynamics of the MCU, I'm going to say this probably falls into the lower half of the MCU films. I put it maybe in that 15 to 20 range, range right about there. I just, I think there was, I mean, it's one of those things that when you get, you're going from phase one into what they've got down later on the road and it just, it kind of gets knocked down. And I think, I think it's the, in a way it become, it's become kind of the forgotten phase one film. Everybody forgets that it was part of phase one. And, but because everybody focuses on the first Iron Man, the first Captain America, the first Thor, and the first Avengers in Phase One, and this kind of gets lost in the mix. Uh, Hulk people remember because of just everything that was so weird around it, so it gets a little lost in the mix. But you know what? I, I with it's 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 an important film to the uh, structure of the MCU, like all of them are. And again, I, I think it, when you have Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man in any film, it just it makes it that much more important and that much more viable for the MCU. So, you know, I, I, again, I don't hate any of the MCU films. I, I love them all. And Iron Man 2, while people consider it lower, it's still a great film. Arch. I'll keep this short and sweet. It's a really, it's a, it's a really solid entry. Uh, I, I don't know how to uh, stack it up necessarily, but it's, it's, it's definitely a solid, solid entry. I will give it three Avengers, out of hemorrhoid attack. <laughs> nice. Cyber, what do you think, buddy? Hemorrhoid attack? Really? Hemorrhoid attack? Okay. Anyways. Hemorrhoid attack. Hemorrhoid attack. 
Oh, okay, okay. Anyways, uh, I give this a solid 9 out of 10. Uh, I definitely think that it has a lot of great features to this film. I think it's just a really well-done film. Like everyone has said in the past, they said that this really built on the, the story from the first film. You know, there's a lot of things that you can dislike about it. There's a lot of things you can love about it. There's a lot of things that you feel that were better done in the first one or worse done in the first one. You know, it all comes down to just your personal preference. So, I mean, but out of for me, it's a 9 out of 10. I feel uh, just I would give it a 10 if I felt that the performance uh, or the story, I should say, not the performance. The performance by Mickey Rourke was amazing. I thought he was excellent in the film. I just didn't care for how they, t you know, basically had him play out the character. So otherwise than that, I think the film is a solid 9 out of 10. I think that's very fair. And I think that, um, honestly, uh, we have to be realistic about the fact that we're, di you know, with the MCU, you got to look at, like, the different times. Like, the, the, you know, these films came out versus Infinity War and Endgame and where technology was at and, like, where uh, special effects were at and everything like that. Like, that stuff is all like um you know like uh vary like and, and like increases and grows over time and gets better and improved over time so at that point you have to kind of like you know use that, that lens to take into consideration iron man 2 where it was at in 2010 is not the kind of impact it's going to have in 2021 um kevin what do you think my rating would be about seven and a half, eight, uh, maybe around the middle of the road total. Um, it's it's uh, it's a solid film, and what I find interesting too is there is a little bit of debate of where the Incredible Hulk and Iron Man two fit in the chronological order. And so Iron Man two came out in two thousand eight. So did Incredible Hulk. I, I'm sorry, the original Iron Man is two thousand eight. Incredible Hulk came out in two thousand eight. Iron Man two thousand ten. But at the end of Incredible Hulk, we get that scene with uh, Tony talking to um, Thunderbolt Ross. But he hasn't joined the Avengers um, at the end of Iron Man yet. He hasn't even done it yet in Iron Man 2. When he's thinking about it, you know, um, Samuel Jackson's character is like saying, well, maybe we don't want you now, you know. And so it's not until the end of Iron Man 2 that you get like the uh, – the, uh, Tony saying, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna join your boy band, so to speak," um, and then you get uh, the Incredible Hulk coming in. That's a good point. All right, well, listen, guys, let's change pace and launch into the DCU fandom for a while. So, uh, territory that we do not trend here on the MCU's bleeding edge very often, but a direction that we're happy to go in. Um, let's jump into the Batman. And let me go ahead and start things right off by dropping this the Batman trailer, which I think is literally outstanding, personally. Then again, I'm a sucker for good trailers, so. Who? Talk 
Okay, if this movie is not freaking disgusting at this point after seeing that trailer, like, I'm sorry, but I'm going to be seriously disappointed because, I don't know, guys, <coughs> obviously, Cyber, are you okay? <coughs> yep. Anyway, <coughs> of course I want to hear what y'all think about the Batman, but I got to just preface things before we get into your guys' takes that I think that trailer is freaking ridiculous. <coughs> like, I'm sorry, but that scene where... Robert Pattinson's Batman stomps that dude, like, and double punches him on the ground, and is like, "I'm vengeance," is, is like literally like, uh, just off the charts as far as I'm concerned. Like, I mean, if you know, I I really hope this isn't one of those situations where that's like the best, like, moment from the film right there, and like, <coughs> I don't believe that that's the case. Um, Kevin, starting with you, um, the the Batman. What do you think about Robert Pattinson as Batman so far? I absolutely love this casting. When he was cast, oh, the fandom spoke up. Oh, no, it's Twilight Boy as Batman. Oh, he can't act because of Twilight. Well, I'm going to guess most of those little whiners didn't actually see all the other films like I have that he is in. This kid can act, and I am really excited that uh, he can start this franchise up again, and I, I love him, but I got even more excited when I saw the car because I love how it kind of has a muscle car feel to it. It seems kind of practical. It can kind of stick out, but then not stick out, you know? I mean, don't get me wrong. I love all the past bat Batmobiles, but you know they kind of stuck out like a sore thumb, which they're supposed to. But there's a design about this one that I like. 
the only red flag that drops that that to me that I get from uh, looking at the IMDb, watching the trailer and all that kind of stuff, and I'm a little worried about is something that kind of Kyle brought up about the Spider-Man films, the the earlier ones where you try to introduce too many villains because we have uh, we have Paul Dano as the Riddler, we have Colin Farrell as um, Oswald Cobblepot, a.k.a. the Penguin. And then we've got Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, Celine Kyle. And then, of course, on top of that, we've got uh, John Turturro as Carmine Falcone. So I'm curious how they're going to juggle all of this. Maybe they we're just going to get maybe one of the... It seems like from the trailer, Paul Dano as the Riddler is going to be the main kind of focus on this, while the other ones are kind of going to be introduced. But we're not going to get like a you know, a Batman forever slash uh, Batman and Robin, where you got like 50,000 villains uh, all competing for screen time here. So hopefully they'll juggle that correctly. I'm really excited about this. I love the look and I'm really excited for uh, Bruce Pattinson because that, that kid can act. And if you say he can't act, I will prove you wrong and take you downtown for it. Don't forget about it's Matthew. Robert Pattinson, not Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Don't, for, don't forget about Matthew McConaughey potentially being in the film as Toothpaste. Uh, that's been heavily rumored. It's oh, not, okay. I didn't hear that. It's not been verified, but it's been heavily rumored that that's going to transpire. And I love the fact that Jeffrey Wright is James Gordon. I'm a there huge you go. fan I wanted to, one of, my of Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. 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 He's going to be Uatu or whatever, or the Watcher uh, in, the, in the What If series, and, not, and he's going to be Commissioner Gordon. Um, in the Batman, which I think is great too. I love him as an actor. I think he's really great. Uh, so moving on over to Cyber, uh, what do you think, Cyber? What what uh, what are your thoughts on the trailer? Well, <clears throat> when I first heard the casting, I wasn't a huge fan of it. Uh, I wasn't like really looking forward to it. But then this trailer dropped, and it completely changed my mind. I'm a huge Paul Dano fan. I love Paul Dano. I think he's an amazing actor. He has proven himself time and time again. He is an amazing actor from his Little Miss Sunshine role to uh, Swiss Army uh, to, you know, anything else I've seen him in. He's always been amazing. And his pick as the Riddler is a perfect, perfection pick for the Riddler. And I'm hands down game for that. As soon as they said that, I was like, oh, I watched this movie. I don't care who else is in it because I'll watch it for him. Then when they cast Colin Farrell as the Penguin... I like that because I think Colin Farrell is really fantastic. I'm sorry. I'm not a huge Robert Pattinson fan, and I, it's not because he can't act. It's just I don't like him. I don't think he's anything great. I think he's overrated. Uh, his tenant role I thought was okay. I thought his lighthouse performance was, you know, mediocre. Um, but, you know, his Twilight role, that wasn't that bad either. I don't think he it was that bad of a thing. But I think his best role to date was – uh, Diggory in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. That's my favorite part his role so far that I've seen. But at the same time, though, those the casting of Paul Dano and Colin Farrell drew me right in. And then the fact, though, I'm not a huge fan of Zoe Kravitz. I don't like the idea of her as Catwoman. I don't see her as Catwoman. She's a pretty face, and that's pretty much it to me. Because, I mean, her role in, like, X-Men First Class to her performances and anything else I've seen her in is very just bland to me. And that's just my opinion. It's just bland. So, but overall, when I saw the trailer, though, it totally changed my mind of Pattinson playing Batman. 
So I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with the character. I am looking forward to just the whole film in general. And, uh, yeah, I think this is going to be a very amazing film. Also, the fact that it's supposed to be right after he first started being Batman. This film is supposed to be taking place. So I like that whole idea, too. So it's kind of like he's fresh and he's just learning how to be Batman. So we're getting a totally different aspect of Batman versus all the ones we've gotten in the past. It's Batman Year One. That is, that's the premise of the film, is that it's Batman Year One, and it's supposed to have more of a, uh, pay more attention to, like, the detective side aspect of Batman. Like, that's supposed to be the premise. Um, Arch, what, what are your thoughts on the trailer, Robert Pattinson as Batman? I think he looks great in the, in the Batman suit. I mean, I liked it. Yeah, no, I think the look is great. Um, the trailer is is really, really awesome. Actually, uh, the vibe of it's perfect. Uh, I, I think it's fantastic. The, the, I mean, just the opening sets the right tone with the the, the ripping of the, the the duct tape, and then you realize it's like taping up this guy's face. It's it's pretty brutal. Like that's 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 great stuff. Uh, all the casting is, is solid. I, I'll, I'll confess, I was not. I am. I have not been a huge. Uh, Robert Pattinson, man, I just didn't know much about him. But I think I'm going to plug Sakari here real quick. I think one of the great parts about the site is there's uh, there's a couple people on there who are really big Robert Pattinson fans. And they, uh, I actually sort of uh, – challenge isn't the right word, but I asked them for recommendations on, on movies I could watch because I wasn't going to just watch his whole portfolio. I was like, give me like a couple of films to go watch. So uh, so I did, and actually, I, I, you know, I enjoyed them. I enjoyed him. It, it, it changed me at least a little bit from – you know, Which ones uh, did you watch out of curiosity? Oh, you're going to get me here. There's okay. There's, there's one where he winds up the fine. The finale is in like a theme park or something like a little fair amusement park. Do do you know what I'm talking about? Does that sound familiar? Does anybody, he's like running away. He's kind of a, he's, he robs a bunch of stuff. He's kind of a bad dude. And then he winds up and there's like a shootout, like a fair amusement park ride or something like that towards the end. Uh, that, That, that was, that was kind of the primary one I watched, but anyway, I really enjoyed his, his performance. Um, or at least, you know, I, I felt very comfortable with it. I'm not going to say like I'm a huge Robert Pattinson fan, but I was very comfortable with it. So that, I thought that was fine. I have, I have kind of a thing here though, and this is more of a personal thing in terms of like how I view films like this. And it's, I felt the same way with, uh, uh, the amazing Spider-Man. Um, I felt the same way probably with, uh, incredible Hulk. Uh, there's probably some others too. Like I, I, I kind of, I'm not a big fan of like, reboots and just starting over again like I, I i felt like maybe i would like to see this as like maybe an older batman perhaps and then i could like mind meld this into sort of canon with the nolan verse or something like that i'm not saying they had to do that but i just I, i'm kind of i'm kind of over with three films and then starting over with another one because we, we we had you know batman begins not all that long back and then this is sort of another start i think i just kind of feel like i've seen this sort of a little bit and and we're only gonna get our dark knight you know that's kind of where i hope bat bat fleck was going you know the older batman you know (laughs) well that's what i'm talking about because we just had bat fleck in between and then of course we've got the the other ones that were older before that i just i'm kind of just a teeny tiny bit batmaned out just a little bit that and that's not to take anything away because it does look great and to everybody that's excited be excited. I don't want to take any of that away from you. I just like I, when I, so when the amazing Spider-Man came out, I really went into that film just for the specific reason that I was like, I, you know, Spider-Man three wasn't unsalvageable. Like you could do a Spider-Man four and keep this kind of thing going, but we're going to start over again. And I have to watch another origin story. And I just didn't want to do that. So I never could get myself there into that film. And I sort of feel that way about this where I'm like, 
I can't fully really get on board. I just wish like it'd be like a longer series and we don't have to start over again, if that makes sense. But it does look great. I'm not going to take that away. It looks fantastic. Cyber. Uh, well, like just like you were saying, Arch, that's why with Homecoming, Spider-Man Homecoming, that's why they didn't have the whole origin story because they wanted to get past that. That's why they decided when they this was bringing Spider-Man into the Sony Marvelverse, they decided okay. not to do the origin story. So that's why Spider-Man Homecoming was like it, how it was. Absolutely. Like, he already was established. He was already Spider-Man. Just now he's, like, working on kind of... That's what I feel what's going on with this Batman movie is. It's supposed to be his year one, like Jeff was saying. So I think this is not really an origin story. It's more of, like his progress of becoming the Dark Knight. So I think it's a little different. So, you know, I get where you're coming from and all that stuff. And, like, I agree. Like, why do they keep rebooting things and just keep redoing the origin story all the time? That can get monotonous sometimes. Yes, I get it. Um, but this one I don't think is going to be like that. I think it's going to be a little different. So, you know, it's it, who knows what they'll do with it. But I think it's a it's a different step in a different direction, not like what they did, you know, where they did the original Batman in 89 with Michael Keaton. And then they did Batman Begins with Christian Bale in 2005. So I think they're doing a little different thing there um, in that, at least in that aspect, you know. And it's actually it's it's Batman year two. Just to be clear, I want to make sure that That's I make I that point. It's 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 his second year as Batman. Uh, Kyle, go ahead, man. Oh, Warner Brothers, you you make something cool and then you submarine it before it even begins. So here here is the actual scoop on Batman. First of all, I I love this trailer. This trailer is phenomenal. I love the cast in this film. I was not quite sold on Pattinson. I thought he would be a great Bruce Wayne. I wasn't sure about his Batman, but seeing this trailer really sold me on his Batman. But DC and Warner Brothers, in their infinite wisdom, has decided to put versions of Batman everywhere across the DC movie universe because we have Flashpoint coming, which is going to have Michael Keaton's Bat as Batman in this, possibly Ben Affleck as Batman, maybe even another version of Batman. So how have the DC decided to solve their Batman problem? This Batman movie takes place on Earth 2. That has been officially announced by DC and Warner Brothers that this is on a separate Earth. It's part of the multiverse. Um, hold on, hold on. Wasn't that a TV show starring uh, Clancy back in the 90s? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and they continue to mess around with the Batman franchise. As we know, we have a casting for Batgirl, which, you know, is not the traditional look for Batgirl. But a lot of people were thinking, oh, well, if they're going to tie it into this Batman film like they're talking about, then it's Jeffrey Wright's daughter. Everything works out well. Well, now they're saying, oh, no, J.K. Simmons will be playing Commissioner Gordon in the Batgirl movie. So... They, the, the DC has their wire and Warner have their wires crossed in so many paths. I am going, you're going to have to go on this, this film kind of like you went into the Nolan films. It's its own standalone thing. Don't treat it as try to make it canon into anything else that's going on. Make it its own Batman film. That's the only way you're going to be able to approach this because this film is not going to tie in with anything going on in the DC universe. It's its own thing. They are doing the HBO Max show that will tie into this called Gotham. And in this whole process, Warner Brothers has managed to make angry the star of this film, as Robert Pattinson is said to be irate over the fact that now there's all these other Batmans in, in existence while he's trying to be the character. Kyle, wasn't there already a Gotham TV show? 
There was already a Gotham Tees show, but they're doing a new one that is going to be on HBO Max to tie in with this Matt Reeves universe. That was Cyber's, uh, Cyber, if you could hear me, brother, Cyber's, uh, his iPad or whatever battery dies and he just like drops off. He never lets us know or warns us or anything. So <laughs> here he is. Let me bring him back. Let me resurrect him. <laughs> I'm resurrecting you, Cyber. <laughs> So, yes, Warner and DC strike again, and you wonder why they can't seem to get their stuff together like Marvel manages to. This is why. because the right. I, honestly, Kyle, I'm not trying to cut you off, but I feel like the, where things are at with the state of the DCU universe cinematically is, is part of the reason why they're willing to not synchronize this franchise with the DCU. If if the if the if the whole Justice League deal and that roster was set and that was all like MCU'd out like where people trusted it and like were confident with it and whatnot and we knew what to expect and everything and like you know and all that like at that point I feel like there'd be more pressure at that point well, to connect the, the the Batman character with the DCU. But here, here but here's what here's what here's what you're doing by doing this and. We understand as 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 fans, and we understand. But the common fan out there who's just going to, oh, it's a Batman movie. I'm going to go see a Batman movie, is going to be questioning why aren't where are these other characters? Where is this? They're not going to understand the concept of the multiverse and all that stuff. Now, maybe maybe by the time Phase Four of the MCU is done, everybody's going to have a much better understanding of what a multiverse means. But in the meantime, it, it, Warner can't stop stepping on their own toes. And that, that's that's all because they have this. What is he looking like? An amazing movie, which I am so excited because we are going to get much really played up. For, I think for the first time, the detective side of Batman, something that, that has been rarely played up in most of the films. And I'm really looking forward to that aspect. I think Matt Reeves is going going to have a phenomenal Batman film here. I just hope that that Warner doesn't get this lost in the land of confusion because of what else they've got going on within the DC universe and confuse the hell out of the average fan who just wants to see a Batman film. I think that's a good point because I think people need to re realize that there's a double-edged sword type of dichotomy with the multiverse. Whether it's the MCU or the DCU, you can overplay that hand if you if you don't handle that whole thing carefully. That's just my take on it. Like I think that that's something that has to be very gently dealt with as far as like how they handle the multiverse because if you overdo it too much, it, it becomes it it becomes like Kyle talks about Iron Man two being too complicated with the characters or the story or whatever. That's what you end up with the multiverse. Like it becomes too complicated to where the everyday fan is not able to enjoy the films or like the properties. Um, and I, I mean, right now I feel like I'm happy with things are where things are going with the MCU personally with the multiverse. I like the angle, the fact that. They have, I'm not trying to throw things off or bring or throw a curveball, but the fact that they've confirmed that the what if series is going to be like synchronized with the actual MCU, um, you know, like it's actually going to be like same, like you know, shared time or whatever, like real time, like with the MCU. I feel like that's actually like a major game changer, um, in terms of all of us that are going to be reviewing the what if series, you know, here pretty soon, Kyle, Kevin, like we're going to be in that role here, you know, shortly. And I just want to point out to everybody out there that 
you should definitely make sure that you check out the True Believers MCU and Marvel podcast because I've been on there and these guys are professionals. They don't play around. So, but anyways, as far as the Batman goes, going back over in your direction, Kyle, um, what are your thoughts on the look at it from a fan standpoint at the at the roster at the at the at the all the characters all the villains what's the upside there like i mean do you see an upside yeah there, there's an upside there the movie looks the tra- if you base off the trailer the movie looks phenomenal i think with matt reeves he's kind of knows what he's doing and going into this and i think while you have a lot of big name actors here he's setting up a bigger world and i think he's planning for this to be I, he, he at least is planning for this to be a multiple film franchise. There's so much up in the air with Warner Brothers because let's not forget they've also been sold, and they're, yeah. that they they have the pending the say, sale to the Discovery Channel guys, and we don't know what approach they're going to want to take with things. And you know, are they in for this property? It, it it's just that everything is so up in the air with everything Warner Brothers right now. It's it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out, but I think this film is going to be... I think a lot, I, I'm really confident that this is going to be a very good Batman film, and like I said, give us a Batman that we haven't really... It's going to give us aspects of Christopher Nolan. It's going to probably give us a little bit of aspects of Tim Burton, and it's going to give us the detective side of Batman, which I'm re- really excited about. I think it's going to be one of the more balanced versions of Batman that that we've seen. And like I said, I think that I think Matt Reeves has a has a strategy for what he wants to do with this. It's just whether or not he gets to execute it. Well, I think based on the current environment we're at with the pandemic and everything and whatnot, it'll be a situation with Warner Brothers in this film because of their situation and just because of the environment. Out, you know, outside, I feel like it'll be how this movie plays out. Success, how successful it is, will determine whether or not there's a sequel. Kind of like how I think that like Dune is going to unfold. You know what I mean? Like honestly, like in, in a normal environment, in a healthy film environment, um, you know, where there's no pandemic or whatever, they already would be working on the second Dune film right now. It'd already be in production right now. Uh, but but yet they're halting right now. Now again, I'm not trying to go curveball here, but I'm just pointing that out as a as a memento, I guess, of the current times that we're in with the with, with the film market and with theaters and everything in the pandemic. I feel like normally this would be a series. Um, Arch, what do you think, man? Um, what do you think about the upside of the Batman film? I think it looks like they're off to a really good start with it. Um, I. I, I kind of like the idea. I, I don't know what all they're doing with all of these, uh, with all of the villains necessarily in this film, but uh, I, it, it looks like they've got a really good handle on this one, and and it's this probably bodes well to things carrying on and happening in in the future. I mean, uh, you know, Batman Begins started with a couple of different characters. You didn't really see Scarecrow, um, you know, become a major part of the series, but you did see him carry on a bit, and uh, I, I think you might see. Uh, more of that carrying on factor through this series. So, uh, you know, maybe Catwoman is just a little bit of this role, but she comes, you know, becomes uh, more uh, later. Maybe you see, uh, you know, like Penguin uh, has a certain political role in this one and, you know, he becomes more of a villain later. I, I don't know exactly where they're going with it, but I, I think they're setting up a, a robust world more than an overly complicated one, which is a good thing. I feel like that they really sell the Riddler at the end of that trailer with Paul Dano. Like he's just outstanding. Um, but Kevin, 
what are your thoughts? What what's what are, what do you feel like is the upside of this Batman film, taking into consideration everything that we've already talked about? You know, I uh, I think it really depends on the uh, character development uh, when we see this film and how people were going to react to them. And you know, I, I I become a big fan of Colin Farrell. He's done a lot of films that people haven't seen that I have seen. And so I'm really curious where he's going to take that role. But I, I think it really depends on the fan reactions and what we're going to see. I mean, we got a good trailer. It feels good. It feels like, you know, they're putting us, us they're setting things up in the right direction. Um, but we also have to, we have to like Bruce Wayne too. You know, we have to like uh, that side of the, uh, the Batman coin, so to speak. We, we don't get much of that in that trailer. So we'll see. So, um, Cyber, to round things out, how do you, what are you, what are your upsides with this film? How do you, what do you think? What, what do you, or, or even downsides? I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, there's many things that can happen. It could be the same scenario as like when they decided to reboot back in 2005. It could be a huge success or it can't, you know? Um, And I've recently saw a couple articles within the last couple months of the reason why this Batman is in another Earth. And that's because Warner Brothers is keeping it open for Ben Affleck to come back as Batman from the Batman that he played in the Justice League and Batman vs. Superman and so forth. Um, that's the reason why they decided to put him on Earth 2, because they wanted to be, keep it open, because originally this Batman was supposed to be the Ben Affleck Batman film, but they went all full circle because you know Ben Affleck decided he didn't want to do what they wanted to do. So that's what they recently talked about, and that's the reason why this one is on Earth 2. Secondly, the chronological order, I just want to get this out there, the chronological order about Iron Man 1 and 2, as we were talking about earlier, both Iron Man 1 and 2 are supposed to be simultaneously across each other. They're supposed to be within the same time frame. So when you're watching the MCU, if you go on Disney+, Plus, they will have Iron Man 1 and 2 together before you see any of the other films. So actually, it's technically supposed to watch Iron Man 1 and 2 and then Incredible Hulk because that's how it plays out like you were saying with that end credit scene in the Incredible Hulk, that's actually how the time frame is supposed to be happening. Um, they didn't really, you know, when they first released those films, they didn't really give that a total, like, didn't tell people about that. It was later on that you finally figured it out. But that's how it's supposed to be actually played out. But getting back to the Batman, the Batman, like I was saying, I think that this is going to play out. It can be either good or bad, like I was saying before. It could either be a success or not. Uh, it all depends on the fanfare, really does. I mean, if if anything, you know, it has to do with the pandemic, you know, if that does, you know, ch- change anything for it for when it finally comes out, which it's now been pushed to next year anyways. So, I, you know, by that time, probably theaters will be back up on their feet, hopefully. So I don't know how that's going to play out, if it's going to be one of those hits like how this year is going with a lot of the films hitting around 50 to 70 million their opening weekend. You know, I don't know how that's going to play out for this film, but with the cast they have, with what how it looks in the trailer, I think this is going to be a huge hit because a lot of people have been waiting to see another, or at least more Batman, you know, since the last time we saw Batman, which was in 2017. So, I mean, it's going to be five years, you know, since we saw the last Batman film. So, you know, 
it, I feel it's going to have its fandoms. A lot of people are going to want to go see it. I think it's going to be probably decently hit, especially because, you know, so many people, there are a lot of Robert Pattinson fans. And so, I mean, they like his work in all the films he's done over the last couple of years as well. And so I think that all in all, this is probably going to have a huge upswing, um, especially if it keeps its date for when it's released next year and it doesn't get pushed back. Or even if it gets pushed up, that would be a good thing for it, too. Uh, I think that it will be very successful. And I would agree. Uh, I, I definitely think that Cyber makes a good point as far as the timing goes. It doesn't come out until March 4th, 2022. Um, I feel like there's going to be a, 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 a desire to see Batman uh, at that point. But then again, as we you guys have already discussed on the panel, we're going to get a lot of different Batman from different directions in the next couple of years. We're going to get Michael Keaton Batman. I heard we're going to get Ben Affleck Batman guaranteed. That's what I'd already, I heard that a couple days ago, that we're, that we're going to have Ben Affleck back as Batman. Um, does anybody else want to jump in here or throw in any two cents here on this Batman film? I just wanted to officially answer the question from earlier that Good Time was the Robert Pattinson film that I most recall. If anybody's seen that one, it's a pretty good film. I'd check it out. It's a little smaller film, but, Pretty enjoyable. I recommend uh, Cosmopolis. Uh, he kind of plays a Bruce Wayne rich guy who is agoraphobic, and he spends a lot of his time in meetings in his uh, um, his uh, fancy uh, limousine. Uh, that was a good one, and also uh, I liked Remember Me as well, where it ends with uh, 9/11. Anybody else? I. I, I, I... I I, th- I think you know the, the the big issue with Batman is it's waiting for the film now. I, I I'm guessing we'll get some more trailers as we get closer to the end of the year, but it's waiting for the film now. Um, the answer to the Affleck question: There's a lot of rumors that he's at least going to make an appearance as Batman in the Flashpoint film that they're filming currently, because um, Batman plays such a key part in the Flashpoint film. I, I, I think I think I think the Flashpoint film is what we got to watch for for whatever's going to happen with the future of the DC DC universe. But that's a whole other massive discussion at a, at another time. But you know, I, I like I said, I think this is going to. I'm personally very excited for this film. This trailer really went from I wasn't sure to I'm all in on this. So I think this trailer has done a great job of selling this film and getting people on board with it. Me too. I agree with you on that, Kyle. That's definitely how I feel about it. I feel like that trailer sold me completely. Like at first I was very speculative. I didn't know what to think because look, I mean, let's be honest here. There's a better chance of like me and Arch dropping acid together than there is me watching Twilight <laughs> films or whatever. Like it's not going to happen. So like, you know, I mean, um, at that point, uh, you know, Look, I'm sold on Robert Pattinson as Batman. He looks damn good in the freaking outfit, man. Like, he looks like Batman to me. And he's beating ass and everything and whatnot in the trailer, like, kicking some dude's ass, you know, and I'm vengeance and everything. Shit looks authentic to me, man. But then again, like I said, we'll have to see how it plays out. I I, I don't know if I agree with Cyber because I don't know the – I haven't done the research. I don't know the background of Zoe Kravitz. I don't know how – authentic or well she's going to be able to play selena kyle i think that's a definite wild card because i think that done well and done the right way the catwoman role if it's done by like somebody like michelle pfeiffer can be really successful and really pivotal and like impactful on screen um i think that uh you know you guys have already mentioned the fact that um the cast itself 
the villains, I mean, you got Colin Farrell playing the Penguin. That could be really great. Like, I mean, who knows? We only saw, like, what, three seconds of him as the Penguin in the trailer? So, um, you know, there's a lot, you know, yet for us to see. But anyways, folks, we're going to go ahead and call it a night at this point. That was a good discussion. Very enjoyable. Why don't we go ahead and I'll pass off to starting off with you and the, our, our newest guests, Kyle and, and Kevin. You guys want to, you know, again, just, you know, shout out the the podcast, the network. Yeah, absolutely. Kevin, well, I, I took it at the top. You want to take it at the close? Oh, sure. Yes, yes. Uh, first of all, um, yes, please check out the Fandom Podcast Network. Our master feed is at fpnet.podbean.com. Uh, we have several great shows on there. Kyle covered those as well, of course, including the uh, uh, True Believers MCU uh, podcast, which we will be uh, diving deep into uh, uh, what if. And uh, soon uh, we're going to be starting our chronological rewatch of the MCU, which will be a lot of fun to do. Uh, and you can, uh, of course, reach me on Facebook uh, under Kevin Reitzel or on um, Twitter and Instagram at Spartan underscore Phoenix. Kyle, where can we find you? Of course, you can find me on um, Facebook under Kyle Wagner, or you can find me on Twitter at a Kyle W or on Instagram at a Kyle fandom. And of course, everywhere at the fandom podcast network, once again, fpnet.podbean.com. Cyber, do you want to uh, take a minute and kind of just point out some of your personal content creation that you do on your own? Well, of course, you all guys know who I am. You know, I'm something like Shark, the uh, host, co-host of the, the MC Bleeding Edge, you know, here. Anyways, but yeah, you know, check me out on, I'm also on Rizzle along with Jeff. We do the Rizzle content world. We're the Rizzle Nation, uh, where it's also, it's very similar to TikTok, where we do little videos, minute long, stuff like that. Uh, we're also on TikTok. We're on uh, YouTube. We're on everywhere, pretty much. You know, you can find us on many podcast areas, Anchor, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, you know, everything. So, yeah, if, if you just type in Cybernetic Shark in any place, pretty much you'll find me. If you want to look at my solo content or if you want to look at my collaborations with the MCU's Bleeding Edge, you can check them out all in those places. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, it's always there for you to watch. So come check us out. Yeah. And you know what? If you want to come on Rizzle, there's a lot of drama on there right now because all the crybaby snowflake people are flipping out because I like I, I one night I was having a couple drinks and I happened to like notice that some guy made a video on Rizzle singing a song and he sounded stupid as fuck. So I told him that. I, I sent him a video and I was like, dude, you fucking suck. You know what I mean? Like, you can't sing, bro. And like, people on there are all flipping out and like their feelings were all hurt and everything. And I'm like, hey, what do you want me to say? Like, the guy sucks. Like, I, I don't want to tell you, but you know, what can you do? Arch, sakar.freeforums.net. What do you got to say, man? That's it. Check it out. Uh, we've got uh, a lot of YouTube videos that we are posting right now. Uh, reviews. Um, a uh, MCA. You were on the MCU Phase Four breakdown and discussion. Uh, you contributed a lot to that, so that's that's coming out as we speak. We just did a five-part uh, series on DC uh, that's that's been out pretty recently. Uh, we did Loki reviews, WandaVision reviews, Falcon and Winter Soldier reviews. Uh, check all that out. And the best way to get to it, I would say, is to just check us out on Sakar Sakar.freeforums.net. Uh, be a member, and you're welcome to come on and uh, chat with us in a, in a format very similar to this uh, with a group of people who just love being fans. So we, we hope to see you there. 
Yeah, or you can like seriously like test your nuts and get on the podcast of champions real quick and be like, "What's exactly. up?" But, you know, like I do all the time on Saturdays, you know, like th- throw down with the with the real bad boys. But uh, no, I, I, look, sakar.freeforms.net is a cool site. I like it on there. It's a uh, really good people on there. Good chemistry, uh, good atmosphere. Um, I'm not a I'm not huge into the fandom, so I don't get too you know, intrinsical when it comes to Star Trek and stuff like that and everything and whatnot. But I enjoy the friendships and the people on there and whatnot. And as far as the MCU's Bleeding Edge goes, we are very proud and uh, very pleased at the content that we make. Of course, you may disagree. And if you do, you can always go to the MCU's Bleeding Edge dot org, lowercase, all lowercase, no punctuations, and let us know that we suck if you want to. That's fine. But... If you don't think that and you think that we're great and you like Arch and you like Kyle and you thought Kevin and Kyle were, were great on here and we're doing an okay job, then you should let us know about that. Follow the podcast through Anchor or any podcast distribution platform out there that you can find. If we're not on it, please let me know so I can put us on there. Um, the YouTube channel is the MCU's Bleeding Edge. The Twitch, the Facebook Live, the Facebook, the Twitter, everything is the MCU's Bleeding Edge. The TikTok, baby. All of it is the MCU's bleeding edge. It's that simple. So just look and you'll find us. We're not hard. If you if you throw a freaking if you throw a, a javelin out there into like the 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 unknown, you will find the MCU's bleeding edge at some point. So thank you very much, Cyber, for being my co-host and dealing with my uh, pain in the ass. You know, potential. You know, my, my possible shortcomings from time to time. Your pain uh, in the ass. It's good having you again, Arch. Podcast of Champions, baby. <laughs> Kevin and Kyle, you guys were great. It was great. Thank to you, sir. You. Well, thank you. Good uh, to be here. Please do not forget me and Cyber and Arch when it gets time to do what if. Absolutely, we'll keep you yeah. fun. Keep keep, keep keep everybody together. <laughs> we want to we want to participate. We want to collaborate, man. <laughs> we will get that. We we'll we are we're, we got ten episodes. We got we we got plenty to cover. Oh man, that's a lot of episodes. All right, folks, this is the MCU's Bleeding Edge. This is Jeff for Cyber. And for Perry, we still love you, Perry. We're out.